you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all the latest exciting projects in the Star Wars universe. But today we're talking about one project, and that's The Mandalorian Season 3. We've got the premiere episode, just came out last night. Uh, We're going to talk all about it, break it down, all the stuff we loved about it and everything. It's good to be back with uh, Mando and Grogu. So as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? You said it, Kyle. Mando is back. So how can I be doing anything other than great right now <laughs> after coming off this premiere episode? Super excited to talk about it with you guys. Yeah, we forgot about one last thing, though. You're going to give me five minutes, Kyle. Five minutes. Just five minutes for you to talk Mando, and that's it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only five minutes. It's going to be a super short episode. <laughs> it's going to be five minutes of Mando and 45 minutes of bad B.A. Batch, baby, right? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, no, we, uh, we, got, we, we got a great episode of Bad Batch yesterday, too, that we could talk about for 45 minutes if we wanted to. But no, this is the Mando episode. But yeah, Paul wasn't on the last episode, so he wanted no. to, to give some, you know, a few thoughts on Bad Batch that uh, Tim and I got to talk about last time. Yeah, you know, and obviously, if you're if you guys know, I'm on the Star Wars Newsnet Live thing that I've started with uh, over there, and I I haven't had a chance to really you know go deep over there or over here, which is a little more deeper side of the of the of the of the canon, if you will. Um, at some point, you'll probably have me on the on the Newsnet Live show, probably go a little deeper because I missed this last episode. But uh, really quickly, I, I I don't know what it is, guys, but I'm loving this season of Bad Batch. Like I I like it so much more than the previous season. I those two episodes. Um, Tim, help me out. What's their names? The Clone Conspiracy and Truth and Consequence. Thank you very much. I'm so glad you're here. Um, so like I I love those episodes. They're fantastic, and you know. And I think this latest episode, which are we going to talk about this latest one or save this one? I, I don't want to go too deep either. So are we saving this for later? Uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't really planning on talking about it here. Just okay. I mean, okay. I yeah. talked about it. Uh, I talked about it yesterday on Rebel Cells. Like I'm I'm in Mando mode tonight. So all right. All right. All right. Well, well, I figured, Tim, we'll probably save this for the, the next Bad Batch episode stuff we'll do i maybe i don't know what we want to do we're gonna do this yeah well i mean it's it's hard when that and mando are running at the same time why why do they do this to me at some point you know probably after the maybe once the season's over we'll do another kind of deep dive bad batch episode on the second half okay that's fair that's fair that's fair and we are halfway through the season so but i i you know here's the thing 
halfway through, I'm just loving the season so much. I think the latest episode was a really fun episode. Wasn't my favorite, but like the weird thing is, I just find I'm more engaged with these characters and these stories way more. Even like the, the funny, the more fun like episodes like this one, um, you know, or the previous ones where it's a little more character building of, of Omega. It's just it's been it's been interesting. I, I feel like. It feels like the directing of the episodes themselves are maybe almost better than the actual scripts a lot of times. Not all the time, but it feels like the, the, the direction of the episodes are really well done. Like, super well done. Um, the scripts are, are, are a little more inconsistent. They're not bad. They're not always the strongest. And I think it's also part of the tone. Um, and, like, I think the subject matter. But at the same time, I think overall, I just find it way more enjoyable and engaging the, the first season. And maybe I need to rewatch the first season again. But yeah, I've been digging this stuff. And those two episodes, man, those were those were top tier, man. Those are so good. And I'm like, yep. dang, like maybe like maybe Bad Batch is, you know, is, is way better than I thought it was the previous season. So I need to rewatch the first season at some point in my life. Oh, God, it's so busy. Life is so busy. But I gotta tell you, I'm not, I'm not like getting bored by any means. Maybe some people are, you know, I, but I, I'm way more invested in this this season than the previous one. So I can't wait to kind of give a more authentic deep dive of the of that season. Maybe what I need to do is like if, if we can all do it together, or at least me and you, Tim, uh, just rewatch a bunch of these episodes before we do our deep dive for our our, our show because it together, uh, mm -hmm. you know, over the internet or something like that. Because I need to like just. I want to actually do want to sit down and rewatch some of these and like get kind of more in invested in them. Cause when we do our show, I, I want to get like, I really, I feel like they're worthy of being broken down and, you know, looked at. So I hope it keeps it up. I've been enjoying it. So yeah, I bad batch before we get the Mando. I think bad batch season two has been phenomenally better than season one for me. Maybe I need to watch season one, but season two chef's kiss. I think you do need to rewatch season one. Cause I recently, so like when I watched, um, you know, the new one yesterday. And I've been watching it with my wife, Allison. She started watching uh, season two with me and she'd never seen season one. Just like the day that the premiere came out, she happened to be sitting on the couch yeah. with me. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start watching Bad Batch. So, you know, you can leave if you don't want to watch it. And she's like, no, I'll watch it with you. And she actually like, she got invested and she likes it. And she's been watching all of season two with me. Um, and so yesterday after we watched the new one and after we watched Mando, I was like, we should watch the first episode of season one and, you know, kind of start going through that and just watching that first premiere episode of season one again, like that was fantastic. It and, is, yeah. um, the, and like, obviously the whole season was kind of up and down. There were some episodes that I didn't love as much as others, but I feel like the main thing that season two has been missing that season one really had was more kind of, of a, a, a consistent through line in the story. Um, and more threads that were sort of built upon over the course of multiple episodes and stuff that you like start off with in the beginning of the season. And then that, you know, that stuff carries over the course of the season and you see these plot threads develop. Season two has been a lot more like one offs, um, although I have really enjoyed the last few episodes, especially, yeah, the, the clone conspiracy and truth and consequences. The last episode um, that just came out this week was excellent. Um, and really set up some stuff that I hope propels us into more of a um, sort of a story build up through the last few episodes of the season. So we'll see how it goes. I'm looking forward to, you know, kind of doing more of a deep dive at the end of the season. And um, I think that's a good idea. You know, yeah. Lo looking back at the whole thing in retrospect. And see. But yeah, just to me so far, season two has a lot of great moments and has some really great episodes. It just feels a bit more loose and disjointed whereas i feel like season one had um some more good kind of story structure and um just sort of 
building upon itself and building momentum for some of the, the characters and plot lines and stuff. Um, but we'll see. We'll see, you know, again, in the grand scheme of things, once season two is done, um, sort of how that progression over the whole season looks with the full context of whatever happens in the finale and all that. Yeah, I think and I think it, Bad Batch is almost better dissected when you have multiple episodes that go off of each other because because it's such a serialized <clears throat> uh, it's such a serialized storytelling like like completely like you know what I mean and it's it's so short and compact and there's so many episodes that because of that it's better I think in the context of the overall story it I mean you can say that about everything it's serialized right but I mean. I think with Bad Batch in particular, because they have so many episodes, it's better it, for me. It's just better to dissect and look back at them with all those things in context of each other, because in a vacuum, some episodes are obviously going to be better than the others. But I think they're also if you're doing this kind of longer game kind of storytelling, um, you need to have those episodes where you have, you know, um, oh, my God, tech and Omega trapped in a wall. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds boring. And not as exciting, but it's important. Oh, no. The, yeah, that episode was great. That was a great character building one. Well, um, no, no, yeah. And, and I'm not saying you're, you, I'm not saying you think it was bad, but you know what I'm saying, though? I think people, when you look at the context, like I don't love this first two episodes of the season. I, I think those are the worst episodes, in fact, to be honest. Um, but they're not they're not bad. But in the context of the ep of the whole season, it's important to it that you need to have those there to set up the rest of the episodes. And I think the journey that Omega is going to be going on, which again, especially now after this last episode, I'm like, it's even more important because she's growing up. It's like the world's making her grow up. And I, I love that aspect of the show that they're showing us. So, but yeah, so I, I, it's all that to say that I think that I love the idea of, of going and doing a more deeper dive when we can kind of really give a, a lot of attention to a, the whole chunk of, of the season opposed to like, again, no nothing wrong with doing every couple you know episodes here or there. But with Mando and all, all that stuff we got, it's a I think it's a good thing to almost take a break from Ed Batch and, and analyze it all in a, in a bigger gamut. Yeah, because like, I mean, I don't know exactly when we're going to talk about it, because obviously we're going to have a lot of Mando to talk about over the coming weeks. Um, and if we try to, you know, talk Bad Batch and Mando on the same episode when, you know, there's a bunch of cool new stuff going on, like, you know, we'll we'll be back to doing three, four hour episodes, which who knows might happen at some point. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe we might have to wait till after Mando is over and then just go back and just do like a, you know, one big dedicated Bad Batch episode or maybe sneak it in at some point when maybe there's a, you know, a Mando episode that's not as exciting to talk about or something like that. We'll figure it out. But, you know, it's it's a good problem to have to have, you know, no shortage of good Star that's Wars fair. stuff to talk about yeah. right now. So, um, but without further ado, Let's get into our review of uh, The Mandalorian Season 3, Chapter 17, The Apostate. Um, and we're going to kind of go back to um, the way that we've done some of these episode breakdowns and stuff in the past, where we kind of just go through the entire story of the episode. Um, you know, sometimes for the sake of time, we'll try to kind of just jump around and just talk about highlights or things that we really liked or whatever. But I think with this being the first episode of the season, like there's so much in here to talk about anyways, that I think we're going to kind of hit on like most of sort of the big story chunks um, and big, uh, you know, kind of scenic points, if you will. Um, set pieces, that's the word I'm looking for. We're going to hit on all the big set pieces of the episode anyway, so might as well just talk about them all in chronological order. Um, 
So, of course, we start with a recap of all the important stuff that's happened in, you know, Mando season one and two in Book of Boba Fett. And then the episode starts with the armorer in a cave on a new planet where the Mandalorians are hiding out. Um, you know, and we see her making some armor. We see that it's a helmet uh, for a foundling. And this is uh, before we even get into the story. This was already like the first little like Dave Filoni Easter egg in here that I loved. Was the fact that this, you know, the helmets that they make for the foundlings look like the Hasbro, like, kids' helmets that they make of, like, the Mando and Clone Trooper helmets mm. where it's got, like, the wider visor and stuff. Um, so, I don't know if you guys caught that, but that's, like, taken straight from the toys, which they've done with other stuff, too. You know, the like, you've got the Imperial transports that were taken from, like, the Kenner toys back in the, the 70s or whatever. Um so it's always cool when they take inspiration from things like that and we get to see new stuff on screen that's inspired by stuff off screen that was inspired by stuff on screen and, uh, you know, just kind of see those things connect like that. So that was just a cool little touch to see uh, these different styled helmets that she's making for the foundlings. And then, of course, we see this whole sequence of like a Mandalorian baptism, essentially. Um and you've got Paz Vizla and all these other Mandalorians there, and they've got drums and banners, and you know, there's other foundlings, and we see this one kid just in his regular outfit with no helmet on, and he's getting his helmet for the first time and swearing the creed and swearing not to take his helmet off. Um, and of course, you know, everything goes awry a second later, but uh, you know, just it was a cool thing to start off with seeing this new aspect of Mandalorian lore that we'd never really seen before and see what it's like for a, a foundling to swear the creed and get their armor for the first time and uh you know see these mandalorians regrouping on a new planet it was just a cool way to start off uh you know just the the very beginning of the premiere yeah i mean first off i just love how a new season of the mandalorians is like an event feeling now where it's just such an exciting moment when a new season begins for this for this show and it begins and you just you have a smile on your face and you just can't wait to be blown away by what's in store for us for the next uh, what, 37 minutes that this episode was and to see how they're going to kick off this new season because the first two seasons got started off with great big bangs <laughs> in my opinion for the first one seeing the first live action star wars series introducing uh grogu aka baby yoda at the time <laughs> and then the second one just having this great or introducing Cobb Vanth into live action, seeing Boba Fett's armor, having this massive battle with a great dragon that I wasn't expecting. And you top it off with the final shot of Boba Fett and just knowing this, that excitement of not of anticipating what's in store for us for this new season. It's just a great feeling to have. And it didn't disappoint right off the bat. I thought this was such a great opening and it's kind of like the opposite of the season two premiere where that, as I just mentioned that one, closed out with a big giant monster battle with the Craig dragon. And this season kicks off and starts right away with a big monster battle uh, with a bunch of Mandalorians and that creature that was in the swamp. But um, I, I know I'm not the only one who thought this cause I've talked to others and they thought the same thing, but I'm curious if you guys, as you were watching the episode and it started, did you originally think that was a flashback and we were seeing Din Djarin take the creed for the first time. And then we would somehow cut back into the present, whatever um, might have happened during that event, and we just get a new layer into Din's past right there. But so I was really shocked when the Nebu Starfighter came out, fired his torpedoes, and hit the monster. Like, oh, we're not in a flashback. <laughs> this is currently going on right now. But at first, I really thought we were getting more in, insight into Din's past here, um, just because how the Mandalorians, or at least that 
corner of the Mandal- Mandalorians where they got rebuilt more so than obviously we last saw the armor in Paz Vizsla in the Book of Boba Fett where it's just the two of them, but now there's a good number of them. Um, so that's what made me think that this was taking place in the past just, just by the sheer amount of Mandalorians that were there during that time. So I don't know if you guys felt that way, but as I was watching it for the first time, I thought we were definitely seeing a flashback here and was surprised when uh, to find out that it wasn't. It crossed my mind. Like I, I had that thought and I was kind of watching it waiting for confirmation one way or the other. I was like, this could be Din, but it could be live action because you have the armor and Paz Vizsla there. I was like, maybe he knew them since he was a kid. Um, maybe they're way older than him. And so, you know, they were already adults when he was taken as a, taken in as a kid, but also like he was taken in by death watch. Um, so obviously like he's been with those guys for a while, but you know, maybe hasn't known them his entire life. So I, I wasn't watching it expecting that that was necessarily what it was, but I was just kind of watching it with curiosity going like, you know, I was like, I feel like it could be, but at the same time, I'm not entirely convinced. And I feel like this might be the present also. And then, yeah, yeah. once the, the Starfighter shows up, it was like, oh, no, yeah, this is present day. Yeah, I I, I kind of thought at first, like you, Tim, it might have been. But I'm like, eh, I'm like, I, I, I hate to say it like this, but like that kid is way too like, like way too pale white to be Din Djarin. You know what I mean? Because I, I was like, uh, you know, I was like, that can't be him. But I thought for a second maybe it was because the way it, I'm like, wait, is this because the way they shot around it was very interesting, I thought. And maybe it, I think it might have been the intention of it, potentially. Um, I, I'm going to get one or I guess, yeah, this is one nitpick, nitpick, I guess. I was going to say it might be multiple, but it's, it, it's all lumped in one thing. I have one nitpick right out the gate about this episode. And I think that. As much as I freaking love Mandalorians, and I think most of them looked fantastic, some of them looked bad. I'm just going to say it. Like, not all of them, only a few. And I think one of the major problems I have that kind of throws me out a little bit is, honestly, the helmet that she makes. It's 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 too... It looks too kitty. It's like... It, listen, and you know me. I'm all about all-ages content and having Star Wars be all-ages and aim for all-ages. I just think they could have done a better job making that helmet look less cheeseball looking to me. That that's the first problem I have with that. It just doesn't like ring true to me. It doesn't look like it doesn't have to. Obviously, it can't be like rugged because it's he's getting it for the first time, right? So I I take that into account. But as she's bringing this helmet out, I'm like, okay, it's for a kid. Okay, I'm just gonna go with it. But then I see there's a couple people on the right that have like this weird. Maybe it's the color. It just looks bad. It looks totally like just. It just doesn't look good. It just looks like it's like really fake, like cosplay almost. And some cosplay is like it looks great and it should be in a movie. Some, you know, a lot of it doesn't. And it felt like some of that didn't deserve to be in the movie and that hell or the show. And that helmet is one of them, including some of the people on the side. Now, I, I, I it took me out of, out of it a little bit because of that reason. But then as I kept, I, you know, and I had the advantage of like, of the episode too, because you could kind of see multiple, like so many different kinds of Mandalorians that I, I quickly was like, okay, those look great. Those look great. It's mo I'd say like 80% of them look great, but the few that don't look great, the 20%, they kind of stand out to me. And maybe that's just me, but it kind of took me out of it a little bit. I'm like, ah, this does not look good. And in one of my biggest criticisms of like Kenobi was that it looked, didn't look it looked kind of cheap sometimes like they cut corners and i 
not all the time, but you could tell when they did. And I was like, oh no, is this gonna be like a is this gonna be an Obi-Wan kind of situation again? Where I'm like, ah, but then like obviously the big creature comes out, and I'm like, okay, and that whole thing, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. The helmet with the kid doesn't look good to me still, but this is all great. I love all this. This was this was good stuff. Um, I you know I, I need to rewatch that episode of Book of Boba Fett with the with the with the armorer and that whole thing again because I'm like oh, you know I know it's there but I need to see the importance of it and kind of feel it a little bit more to kind of get why he's feeling so uh, so like compelled to, to do this thing and 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 you know obviously put himself into back into good graces of this of this cult as Bo Katan would call it. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I've never been had a problem with it, but I definitely feel like how far Din has come as a character and, and growing to love Grogu as a child, as his own child, as we see, it does make me kind of question like, you know, why does he care so much? You know, so, but I wonder if that's still going to play a part. Maybe that's the whole point of this whole journey, right? Yeah. And I think I that's what's going to be a big theme of the season. And maybe so, but it definitely doesn't, it definitely kind of felt weird to me. He's like, "Hey, I'm back. I got my ship. Got Grogu. Now I'm gonna go bathe myself in the in the waters of or the oils of the you know Mandalore." And, and I'm like, I'm like, it just seems weird where he's at right now as a character to be doing all this. But at the same time, I, I have to remember that there is that the previous you know episodes and 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 he does obviously I know he, he holds it very seriously and everything. So I don't know it. I would say the weakest part of this episode for me, and a lot of people are going to say other parts, but we'll save it for later. I thought this was the weakest. And it's still not bad by any means, but, it's, but the weakest part I felt of some of the, like, the, I think the production was didn't look as good as it could have been. Um, but, and just kind of this, the kind of the abruptness of like Mando coming in, saving the day. And then like, Hey, by the way, I mean, like, I'm telling you, I'm going to Mandalore. So it's, it, that was just not the smoothest of transition. I thought overall, but I still loved it. I still liked majority of it. It just wasn't, I thought, the the strongest part of the episode. But I still loved it. You see, I've also heard some complaints about um, him coming back uh, to meet with the armor again because technically he already we knew what he was going to do at the Book of Boba Fett episode. But mm-hmm. I rewatched that again pretty much after I rewatched the premiere a second time for <laughs> all the second viewing. Where like why why did he feel the need to go back to the armor and tell her that he's going to go to Mandalore? He never actually said that. Uh, to her when he left in the book of Boba Fett. She okay. told him, she told him sense. what he needs to do, but then he mentioned how, you know, Mandalore's destroyed, we can't go back there. And all she said was, this is the way. Pretty much like, well, you're screwed type of thing. <laughs> so that, then he just leaves and walks away. But now, and we find out in the premiere that that traveler that he mentions found that crystallized shard with some like um, inscription on there giving him like oh so maybe we I actually can go to Mandalore and this can be done so he's pretty much going there to tell her I can this can actually be a possibility and if I do it it's like I think he kind of says like do I have your blessing will I be redeemed if I can show you proof and then she says again that she said in the book of Boba that this is the way pretty much before in the book of Boba saying like no that's it we can't go back to Mandalore but now when he says tells her that it's possible she pretty much tells him okay yeah if you're able to do it then so I think that was the purpose of this so know that before when he thought he didn't have a shot to be redeemed, he now finds that there is a way to go to Mandalore and do that, which is the purpose of him going back there and letting her know that that is the case of what he's going to do. And to make sure that he goes and that it won't be for nothing either, <laughs> that if he does do it, he will be redeemed and welcome back into their clan. 
See, I'm glad you mentioned that because I kind of had that same gripe where, <clears throat> and I mean, it wasn't like a huge issue for me. If anything, it, I was like, okay, this makes sense because, you know, they do have to um, sort of cater to the fact that not everybody maybe has watched Book of Boba Fett and they kind of have to just do this little recap to get people caught up. But I felt like it dragged the story down just a little bit to like essentially go back to the armor and have the same conversation about, you know, being redeemed by bathing in the waters beneath Mandalore and her telling him you're an apostate because you took your helmet off. And it's like, okay, yeah, like we know all this. Um, but that's a good point that, you know, he walked away at the end of that episode or, you know, in that episode in the book of Boba Fett, not knowing, you know, basically he, like he wasn't, he hadn't decided to go back to Mandalore yet. He just kind of thought like, Oh, there's no chance. And so the fact that he's coming back to her now, to say, um, hey, I found a way to do this. And, you know, do I essentially have your blessing to, or, you know, would this work? Um, you know, kind of, I, I think that is a good, a good justification for it. Because aside from that, I was thinking, you know, it's a cool way to reintroduce Mando. You know, you got all these Mandalorians and then, and I love the big fight with, you know, this yeah. big monster thing, this big, you know, crocodile turtle dinosaur thing. Um looking forward to when we get an official name for that thing but like it looked cool it the cgi was fantastic like it did not this did not look like something that was done you know cheaply on a tv budget um and i didn't have any issue with the way the mandalorians looked either um and i feel like you know every season they get better at like the way that they're able to do these fight scenes with like their jetpacks and stuff i mean i think back to season one um with like uh, the third episode, the sin where all the, where, you know, where Paz Vizsla and all the Mandalorians come out of hiding to uh, save Din when he's surrounded by all the bounty hunters that are coming after him. And it's essentially like, it's a cool scene, especially because at the time, like that was the most Mandalorians we'd ever seen on screen in action before, but it's essentially just them going, you know, you can tell it's like stuntmen going up and down on wires. Like there's a whole group of them that just like flies up into the air and then they come down on the other side of the arch and they're kind of just going like up and down between ledges and stuff. And they're shooting bad guys. And, you know, again, for season one, that was cool, but now you've got them like, doing all these aerial acrobatics and you know you've got like uh not first person but you know there's that one shot of the mandalorian that like flies over him and like you know drops an explosive on him or something and then yeah. there's that that shot of him flying away that almost looks like there's like a gopro mounted on his head or something like that um you know so they're able to do a lot more cool shots they're able to do a lot more um again like you know sort of just cool aerial maneuvers and stuff where you've got them like flying sideways and up and down and doing all these cool maneuvers around this thing and we know from like the trailers and the clips and stuff from you know that we've seen from the season that there's going to be a lot more of that um you know i've seen in some of these promo clips just some shots of mandalorians flying through the air that i'm like oh man that looks awesome and i can't wait to see that full episode so um just cool to see them keep getting better and better with that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the creature was cool. The The battle with the Mandalorians was cool. And then having Din, you know, swoop in to save the day, I think was also cool because, um, you know, even, even though he's, uh, you know, sort of not welcome um, as one of them at the moment. Um, and, you know, we know all about his quest of having to go to Mandalore to redeem himself and everything. I think it's also showing that he is, uh, still a valuable member of this clan you know you can sort of imagine like the armor um kind of being begrudgingly like yeah you know you're trying to keep him out saying you know you're not a mandalorian you know you took off your helmet we you know we disavow you and at the same time realizing that like they'd be dead right now if it wasn't for him um 
you know, he's got a cool ship. He's got the dark saber. Like I think, uh, you know, I'm imagining over the course of the season, we're going to see Din really, you know, sort of come into a leadership role among these Mandalorians. Um, and I think, I mean, you know, we can get more into speculation later about, you know, what the, the different ways that the season could go, but I think he's going to be kind of more of a, more of a reluctant leader. Like he has, cause he has no ambition, right? Like he has no ambitions with the dark saber that I'm going to rule Mandalore. I think, you know, really he's, he wants to restore his honor. He just wants to take his place among his people. He wants to protect Grogu. And I think when you have Bo-Katan and all these people, you know, and, and all this power struggle mm -hmm. going on and all these people that have sort of grand designs for themselves, I think the Mandalorians are going to look to Din and go, now, nah, you know, we should follow this guy. Um, even well, though he yeah. doesn't necessarily want to lead, but they're going to recognize that like, this is a guy that we should follow if we want there to be, you know, a good future for our clan. Well, he's he's basically Ned Stark if he has no Game of Thrones. Mm. I mean, he's he's yeah. kind of like I mean, he really is. I mean that seriously. Like he's obviously Ned Stark's probably more even more like good natured than he is. But like at this at this point, but he really is like he has that. He's like an honorable honorable person, and he he'll he'll do what he needs to do to survive. But he's not just gonna you know do things that are, you know, for he's not selfish either, which is very interesting about the Mandalorian. Like. And, that's, well, and he's got, I mean, to make the Game of Thrones comparison, he's got some Jon Snow in him, too. Um, oh, word, word. Where Jon, you know, has this huge destiny thrust upon him. And, you know, everybody makes all the memes and stuff of him saying, I don't want it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's true. You know, like the best leaders are the people that have no aspirations to lead because, you know, they're not in it for power or fame or whatever. But, yeah. you know, people that are just trying to do the right thing and by you know, by process of elimination almost end up becoming the right person for the job. So, well, and, and, and so I, I think it's all right. And I, obviously I still think that the, the end game is going to be Din Djarin leading, bringing back people to Mandalore and having it be its own. I mean, cause to me, I don't want to get off too up in the weeds here. He's very quick. I think the end game would be bringing the Mandalorians back to Mandalore, which I think that's what they're doing. I think it's very obvious, right? I think we all agree to that, but it seems like they could bring him in there, restore Mandalore during that whole time with the first order and uh, the sequel trilogy to basically say like, we leave Mandalore alone, Mandalore alone, alone because they, we don't want to mess with it. Like they like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, we don't want to go down that road because they got a lot of firepower. And I almost think that like, because they're, they are who they are, they're going to let them rule their own planet themselves because they just, you know, cause we all know the new Republic doesn't have, uh, you know, a, uh, a grand army and, and then all of a sudden the first order shows up and all of a sudden they got their hands tied. So I feel like that's the, this is why it's the ultimate end game because you could easily write around them not being a sequel trilogy pretty easily in my opinion. Um, and then had them all of a sudden after the sequel trilogy become a, a bigger player. So there's a lot of really cool things here at play that I think that they're building towards. And I think that's the one thing I really appreciate that, you know, where they're going is even though, Favreau said, like, I don't have an ending. And people like criticize him for that, which I'm like, which by the way, can we stop criticizing John Favreau and Dave Filoni now? Like, uh, and, uh, listen, how about this? Can, can we stop criticizing them like unfairly? I feel like yeah. I feel like if people yeah. are like, oh my God, I can't believe Dave and, and John are back on Mandalorian Mandalorian season three after Book of Boat Fett. I'm just like, are you guys out of your mind? Like, I'm just like, don't listen, 
I'm not saying you have to love everything, they, every, everything they do, but to treat them like they're just like they've all of a sudden fall off a cliff in Book of Boba Fett. I, after watching some of the Book of Boba Fett stuff, I'm like, what? I don't get it. It's just I'm like those people. They see like stop watching Star Wars and go watch Star Trek or something. Seriously, go go watch that. That's yeah. way more. And also, I think it's pretty clear that like if you, and I'm not saying Book of Boba Fett was bad, but if you had issues with it or the issues that a lot of people have with it. I, I think the common denominator is Robert Rodriguez. Like, yes, I'm not, and I'm not trying to like throw I him said under the in bus. Season two, like I I'm not, two. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus or say that he was, you know, terrible or anything. But like, I mean, if you look, okay, it was just John and Dave on seasons one and two of Mando, and then it was John, Dave, and Robert Rodriguez on Book of Boba Fett, and he directed three of the episodes that are probably three of the most criticized episodes. I'm like. I don't know why you guys are trying to give John and Dave all the flack for that. So it doesn't make sense and, to me. And, and also, I don't th- I don't believe John when he says, I don't really have an ending. I think that he's halfway telling the truth and not telling the truth. I think there isn't there is some kind of loose like end that they have well, in here's- mind. Here's what I think, because remember when they had the the big D23 panel or whatever, where they announced all these shows and it was the first time they announced Ahsoka and Rangers yeah. of the New Republic and Kathleen Kennedy mentioned that. No, these were no, all it gonna... wasn't D23. The... That was a uh, Disney Plus Day or whatever. Or oh, Disney, Disney Plus Day. Yeah, it was yeah, Investor's yeah. Day or something. Investor, 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 Investor yeah. Day. Investor yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it was. I just remember it was sometime in the fall. It wasn't celebration, but um when when she you know talked about all these shows that were going to branch off of mandalorian and then talked about them culminating in a big event which again you know kind of the running theory now seems to be that thrawn is going to come back through the ahsoka series and you know we've got luke and mando and ahsoka and thrawn and this is all going to culminate in some like new retelling of heir to the empire right um and it would be easy to imagine that being the ending of all of these shows. But I think what John is getting at is that, like, I mean, if Mando is still alive at the end of that and still has Grogu with him, like, they can keep telling stories with Mando. Like, you you know, you can build towards this big event um, and have that be the end of sort of like a big chunk of story. But that doesn't mean you can't continue on the story with, uh, you know, with certain characters. Um and, you know, as long as The Mandalorian is popular and the show is doing well and everything, I could imagine them, you know, the, I could imagine that kind of being the end of like the first era, um, almost like, you know, the first phase of the MCU, if you will. Um, but then just, you know, continuing on that show and that character. I mean, certainly it's popular enough. Disney's going to want to keep making money off of it and everything. So um, that's kind of more how I read that. Um, or at least maybe just how I'm sort of trying to reconcile that. Because when I first saw that, I was like, "Uh oh, have they still not planned the big finale event thing that we were told about? Um, and then I kind of realized, oh, well, you could still build towards a big crossover event. And yet, like, that doesn't have to be the end of all the shows. And you could still continue on with those characters. So that's kind of what I think they're going to do with it. Yeah, it's almost for me, it's like, I can't believe this is the controversy where the creator of a show that a lot of people enjoy is successful saying there's going to be more of it and we don't have an end in sight. Oh, how dare he want to continue telling the story <laughs> these great stories for us to enjoy. Like it's just, I don't know, just some of the mindsets some fans have or how they think th- certain things should be. It's just, I don't know. It baffles me sometimes the things that people get upset over where <laughs> uh, the fact that Mando is going to yeah. continue for the foreseeable future is a bad thing. 
Well, and, 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 and just to kind of put cherry on the, on top of this all, I, I, I will say, and maybe I'm not looking for it and I don't see it. I feel I've seen a little bit here or there, but like, I definitely feel like even after episode one, which I know wasn't like blowing people's doors off or anything like that. Like people aren't like talking that much about it. It, it felt like it was before I felt, I felt I saw a little bit before, but still even after now, like there's not, there's less, there's not that much complaining. People are like, yeah, I like that. It was, and which I think is good. I don't think it has to blow the doors off like the season two, you know, episode one. Um, not every episode it, has to. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. But I think this is a great. Again, this is my biggest criticism criticism of the episode. It's the very beginning. That's it. Like it really is. That's it. It's for a pretty me. awesome so beginning I, though. Too. Yeah, exa exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not even like. But I, I will say this. I, I I think that I I would be shocked if they don't have Din leaving the Mandalorians at one point if at one point giving that up and going on his own separate way again. But I just, to me, it feels like that's, he's, you have him, he's called the Mandalorian for a reason in the show. There, there's gotta be a the thematic story reason why. And I think the Mandalorian uniting the Mandalorian seems like a good story theme and idea to do again. There's, and I, people will say, like, oh, it's too obvious. But, well, here's the thing. Geniuses. Like, I'm sorry. It just frustrates me. Sometimes like, the most obvious thing is still awesome and you just, you anticipate it happening. Right. Like I feel mm -hmm. like that's good storytelling when you could, you already know that when it's going to happen, it's happening, but the story is so good that you don't care. And I yeah. think that that's what, I think that's where, and, and I'll just end it on that for me. I feel like that's what they're doing. It's so, the story is so good that I don't care. That's where we're going. I love it. So um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I love, even though I don't love this beginning, like I don't hate it or just like, I don't love it, but I still enjoyed what we got out of it. Yeah, for sure. I've got more thoughts on sort of speculation about where this could go and Din possibly uniting the Mandalorians, but I'm going to save that for the end because it ties into some stuff from the end of the episode. Um, but yeah, great beginning, great way to wrap it up. Great way or to, to kick it off rather. Um, and to uh, just reintroduce Din and Grogu and the Mandalorians. Um, and then from there, we go to Navarro, which we see has uh, really flourished since the last time we saw it. That's been another interesting topic of discussion is the passage of time over the course of these um, these seasons. Because um, there was, and I know this is kind of going off track again, but it kind of ties into, especially Navarro and, and kind of the state of things there. Um where uh, Dave and John did like a roundtable interview with some podcasters. And one of the things that John said in that interview was he mentioned, he said that like the Mandalorian and Grogu have been together for like many years over the course of the first couple seasons. And then he kind of alluded to like Grogu being with Luke for like two years um, since the last season. And there was kind of some debate as to whether he meant in, you know, real time in the show, like if we were actually supposed to believe that Grogu was with Luke for two years, or if he's just talking about the fact that it's been two years since the Book of Boba Fett came out. Um, and it's, you know, it gets a little sticky. I, you know, obviously within the show, they're not very precise about telling us like how much time has passed or, you know, are we in like uh, whatever BBY, I forget what year we're supposed to be in right now. Um, but, um, I mean, regardless, like, I think this is one of those things that tells you like, yeah, some time has passed. Um, and also clearly like, you know, we see Din in, in the book of Boba Fett, he visits the armor. Then he goes to the planet where Luke and Ahsoka are to see Grogu. Then he goes back with Boba Fett. Well, now he's back 
you know, clearly he's had time to figure out what new planet the armor and all these Mandalorians are on. And he's also had time to go back to Tatooine and meet with some Jawas and get this stuff from Mandalore. So like, there's been other stuff going on. Um, I don't know if, you know, if this is all supposed to have taken place over several years, but also again, just the way that Navarro has been built up and changed since the last time we saw it, I think it's clearly supposed to indicate that like some time has passed, you know, whether it's, a year, two years, several years, I don't know. Um, but it is kind of cool to revisit a familiar location from earlier in the show and see it having changed a lot. And I mean, again, to me, that kind of gives an indication of of some idea of passage of time, that it's not like season two was a couple weeks ago because clearly, you know, they needed time to build all this up. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's cool to see it just kind of thriving and flourishing now. And of course, grief comes and meets Mando and tells him all about uh, how they're like a, a trade hub of the outer rim now and everything. And, you know, he's doing legitimate business now. Remind <clears throat> He reminded me a lot of uh, Lando. Um, yeah, I got you know, where, you, <laughs> where you have this guy that's kind of got like a, a shady scoundrel type past. And now he's running a legitimate business operation, but like still his past is kind of catching up with him. Um but running this kind of big glitzy glammy operation. So, um, and I also liked that, uh, you know, this kind of new shiny version of Navarro definitely gave me some black spire outpost vibes from. Yes. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so yeah, it was just cool to see, you know, the, a big thriving flourishing marketplace with all kinds of, you know, aliens walking around and stuff. So it was just cool to be back there again and see kind of this new iteration. Yeah. That moment where Din and Grogu are just, walking down the streets and commenting how much has changed. I, I just thought the exact same thing. Like, man, this like feels like you're walking down the marketplace area on Batu at uh, Galaxy's Edge. It just it was a lot more cleaner and nice looking probably on Navarro, but just that vibe of the marketplace, seeing uh, different creatures. I mean, if they re- Disney really want to go out and add some quacking monkey lizards just hanging on some trees out in Galaxy's Edge <laughs> or something, that'd be great. But it really had that vibe. Like, I think that just speaks to how authentic galaxy's edge really is in capturing that star Wars feel that when you're watching some star Wars content, it made you think of that. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I wasn't the only one. I just got those exact same vibes. And yeah. And for grief Karga, I mean, you know, things are going really good for you when you got two little droids carrying your cloak as you walk wherever <laughs> yeah. you go. <laughs> See those droids man, that cracked me up, but I loved it so much. It's just some small little details that I think that's what I really loved about this premiere there's some other ones i'll get into later but just little things like that just that put a smile on your face it's like oh man this this is awesome i'm so glad this series is back <laughs> just really fun stuff like that i think this uh, premiere episode was littered with those type of moments man the droids carrying his cape was just oh my god <laughs> so perfect yeah so perfect and it's like and, no one mentions them he doesn't say anything about it you are, you have to exactly and yeah, yeah. And, and that's and that's the beauty of star wars that i think that george really emphasized of like just like it, it's all meant to be there either it's meant to be dirty as hell or clean as a whistle on the death star or in, uh, in all these aliens that are coming around walking past they're not supposed to they're adding texture to the world. They're not meant to be necessarily like the focal point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, you're not going out of your way to be like, "Hey guys, look at these little droids!" Like, like, and going and like doing a close up on them alone, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the beauty of I think the world of Star Wars that it's everything is naturally there. 
because it act, because the camera treats it naturally, and you could probably attest to this more than I can, Kyle, but it feels like that's the conscious decision that and that's not like saying like this is like my like groundbreaking by any means, but I feel like a, a lot of times in, in, in family programming, it's an you know, you want to zone in on like the funny and like you know, it's again, it's 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 low hanging fruit and it's it's you get it for a reason, right? Because it, it's easy to get and it's not necessarily a bad thing all the time. But I feel like Star Wars does a really good job if it's done right. It really knows how to toe that line of fun and playful, but also like adding texture to the world of like what's going on, like how like grief has built this world and what's going on, and like how it just it just adds like that fun like element of like the mysticism. It, it's not mysticism, but that whole idea of like it's not science fiction. It's not science fiction. It's it's fantasy but it's a cross of both. And it feels like that embodies that to a T because it's two little droids, but like it's a guy in a cape. Like, is this, you get, you get what I'm saying? It feels mm -hmm. like a, it really does embody both those elements together without being one or the other. And I love that the Mandalorian, I think better than most, almost, almost better than George at times in this prequel trilogy really absorbs and understands that like, better than most things we've gotten in anything star wars related and that's not a, just that's not like me talking sh to anything about star wars that's come out but it just shows the power of the mandalorian and i think that the, the, the collaboration that favreau and feloni have done together and all the people they work with have really mastered the world of star wars i think and really have shown you like this is what george created and these are people who are taking it and are using it the right way yeah, definitely. Also, before we get into more of the um, Navarro stuff, I just realized I already skipped over one of the best moments of the episode, which is after uh, they take off from the planet that the Mandalorians are on and head to Navarro. And we see oh, the, N1, the N1 Starfighter traveling How can through we hyperspace forget that? Yeah. <laughs> with Din sleeping in the cockpit, Grogu up in his little bubble, you know, staring out at the wonder of hyperspace. And we see pergil from rebels oh, just man. drifting outside the hyper lanes and you get this just beautiful wondrous shot of these star whales just kind of drifting Bro. by as the ship is floating through hyperspace that was incredible Homie. um <sighs> dang <laughs> I, I i just want to I, i'm sorry i i i Literally, when I saw this, I was watching. I, you know, Morgan, my wife, will only if she stopped watching Obi Wan, she was not into it. You know, she actually watches the Mandalorian. She has some of an attachment to it, but we're watching it, and I lost my mind. She's like, "What?" I'm like, "Oh, dude." She thought I was, she thought I was just like, "Oh, that's cool." Like, what? What? You know, what is that? I'm like, "Oh, dude." They're telling like for the real ones. No, when you see that, <laughs> you're like, oh, "Okay, yeah. I yeah. get it." Like, I see what they're doing. And I just want to say for the record, I remember when people trashed the whales back in the day. And, and I'm not saying people are like are saying they're awesome now. Who knows how they look on, you know, they're, we're going to see them obviously on screen at some point. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but but that, did be, that, that being said, I never minded the space whales. I always liked them. I thought they're kind of cool. And, oh, cool I freaking loved it. I've yeah. loved them from day one. But, but no, I agree. I think we all did. The cool thing about it is that like seeing it in the even this like silhouette context was really cool and very natural i felt and maybe i'm being biased but it felt very like it, in the world of the i, I just got finished talking about the, the fantasy aspect right guys this mm -hmm. felt very in line with that idea of fantasy and science fiction merged together and it felt so seamless to me and i think that's yeah. what I, 
credit, credit to them because you're you're preparing the audience. Those silhouettes, you're like, oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah like it's it definitely was- it's it's one of those things where if you're a fan of Rebels, like you know, there's more to this, and especially with the Ahsoka series coming, you know, this is probably not just a one time appearance, but also like it doesn't just feel like fan service or something that's you know that's dis- distracting or whatever it's like if you have no idea what those are you're still like oh cool like there's whales that travel through hyperspace like uh, hopefully people that didn't know that before like enjoyed that because that was just i think that was just one of those cool little touches that just adds some more beauty and wonder to this universe so and you know of course seeing it through grogu's perspective and seeing him get to enjoy that and see that for the first time was just magical yeah i mean you guys described it perfectly i had the biggest smile on my face when we saw the silhouettes of the Pergo, like, oh man, I can't believe I'm seeing this. This is amazing. And probably the, the most beautiful shot in the, the episode. It just, there's something about it, just the way those silhouettes look throughout the hyperspace, Grogu's face just being in awe of it. And like you guys said, just that fantasy and wonder element that we all love to see in Star Wars. It was all encompassed in this moment right here, where, like you said, we know what it is, but for those who don't, it's just a very striking and cool visual image that makes you uh, wonder, like, what are those things? But and just, but yet it just feels right. It, it just makes it just a great look that encompasses the universe of Star Wars, that fantasy element of the universe of Star Wars that we mentioned, and just again, it gives you that sense of wonder if you're not really sure of or never heard of the Pergo before in the Rebels episode. But yeah, getting to see that little tease, it was just really, really cool. And like you guys also mentioned how um, it's not just there for an Easter egg or fan service. I mean, I think they're slowly setting the audience up and slowly introducing how this is probably going to be some creatures and a big story element to the Ahsoka series coming up. So uh, we're just cool that they threw it in here this way. It was just such a beautiful, beautiful looking moment in this episode. So cool. Yeah, that was totally awesome. It was cool too because um, when I watched, uh, so I watched the episode first thing in the morning by myself when it came out, but then later that day I watched it with Allison, and um, I've been watching Rebels with her too, and she's never seen it before. Um, and we had started season one of Rebels a while ago, maybe like a couple years ago or something, and we got like almost through season one, and she like kind of gave up on it for a while. Like she wasn't super into it. She had a hard time getting into like the animation style. Um, Cause she's watched most of clone wars and she liked that, but you know, she was just having a harder time getting into rebels. Um, and then I kept telling her, I was like, Oh man, like I know you're not into like the animation and stuff, but like, there's some really cool stuff in there. And especially with like Mando season three and Ahsoka, like there's some stuff that you're really going to want to, you know, get caught, get caught up on. Um, so I kept telling her like, at some point we got to get back to it. Um, and then just, you know, one day, like earlier this year, she was like, uh, Hey, you know what? Like, let's start watching rebels again. And, uh, you know, she was intrigued and wanted to start watching it again. So we we started watching it again and we've gotten now up through we're like halfway through season three or still kind of early in season three. But we finished all of season two, which is the episode. So she saw the episode with uh, with where the Purgles show up for the first time. And that was kind of recently, maybe like a month ago or something that we watched that. And so when then when those showed up in this episode, she just kind of turned to me with her, you know, mouth open. And she was, oh, it's the things I was like, yeah, it's the things. So. that was cool uh, yeah um yeah for anyone so, who hasn't seen rebel go check out the episode the call that's where you'll see the purgles and how they were introduced and just how awesome they are <laughs> yeah yeah true yeah it's funny because i mean in the in the grand scheme of things especially at, well at the time because um 
I guess I won't spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen Rebels yet, but that does become somewhat important. But at the time, you know, it was a, a one-off episode in season two that kind of felt like, I mean, you know, I know the word filler gets thrown around so much, but it was, you know, Too it was much. one of those one-off <laughs> episodes, especially in a season where we knew like everybody was just waiting for the confrontation with Vader and Ahsoka at the end. Um, it, it, you know, it, it was kind of a filler episode in that sense that it didn't really like progress the main storyline or anything but for a quote-unquote filler episode i thought it was a really good one like where it was like okay yeah like this isn't you know doing any you know huge new stuff or um you know again it's not there's no epic showdowns happening or anything but just for a, a fun like adventure of the week kind of episode that introduces some new creatures and stuff like i thought it was really fun i thought the pergil were, were a really cool concept um so yeah definitely like if you haven't seen that episode go check it out for sure um and uh yeah you'll get caught up on something that may have bigger implications in the future um but yeah that was such a cool moment and you know probably my favorite just wow moment of the episode mm -hmm. um so yeah that was really cool but anyway so then we go back to navarro um we get the the introduction of grief and everything and then um Interestingly enough, we find out that the reason Din is there is that he wants to go to Mandalore. Um, and we don't really know how he comes to this conclusion. Maybe it's because there's all this talk about the planet being like poisoned or whatever. But he says that he needs a droid to help him explore Mandalore. Um, and the only droid that he's ever trusted is IG-11, um, who, you know, obviously blew up in season one, but they've got a statue of him in the, the town square on Navarro. And it turns out that at least some of that statue is made from his remaining parts that they salvaged. Um, and so Din wants to try to reconstruct and, you know, revive IG-11, which is kind of funny. Like on the one hand, you know, as Grief tells him, it's like, why not just get another droid? Um but I mean, it it kind of shows a cool progression on Din's part that like season one, he hates droids. We know like he doesn't he doesn't trust droids. He doesn't work with droids. He doesn't want droids on his ship, um, you know, in in season two. And then in Book of Boba Fett, like it's kind of a big step for him to even let Pelly's droids, you know, work on his ship. And she's like, oh, he likes droids now. Um to now he's so trusting at least of IG 11 that he's like, yeah, this droid sacrificed itself for me and blew itself up. Uh, and now I want to rebuild it because like, this is the only droid I can trust and I, I need him with me again. Um, and it's funny because like on the one hand, I usually, I don't know. I've talked about this before. I do usually don't like when they bring characters back from the dead, especially characters that have made like big heroic sacrifices and things. And it's like, you get really invested in them. And then you, you know, you feel that emotion of that loss. And then they're like, never mind, they're still alive. Um, but I guess in the case of rebuilding a droid, I'm like, yeah, I guess that works. And I liked IG 11. So it would be fun to have him back if they are going that route, if he actually is going to end up being fully rebuilt, who knows? Um, but it was, I was just kind of surprised that that was the whole reason why Din went back to Navarro. Um, but then, uh, you know, so he they, they take the statue apart. They take the pieces. He starts trying to, you know, rewire him and, and put him back together. And he, he, you know, he's got like half a body and he wakes up with his old programming intact and sees Grogu and is like, you know, the asset must be terminated and starts trying to kill Grogu. Um, 
And so, you know, then Mando and, and Grief have to have this fight with, you know, half of IG-11 and uh, Grief's droid ends up toppling a bust of Grief onto IG-11 and smashing him. And <laughs> Mando makes an excellent dad joke and says, oh, I guess that's using your head. Um, but uh, yeah, and then they take him to the Anzellans, the little Babu Frick guys, to see if they can put him back together. And that was just a really fun sequencing mando sitting in there talking to them and grief you know translating their uh their weird little alien talk for him um so yeah that was a whole fun little uh like you know we knew from the trailers that he'd be back on navarro and he'd be back with grief carga and everything but the way that that all fit within his larger quest that you know the whole reason for that was wanting to have ig11 with him to to take him back to this dangerous planet of Mandalore was not something I expected. And that, you know, it just played out in a lot of fun ways. And of course you have Grogu squeezing the, the Anzellans. Oh it's like the first, God. the first time he, the first time he's ever seen a, a live sentient being who's smaller than him. And he just right. wants to pick it up and <laughs> hug it. Um, oh my God. That was so cute. Oh yeah. I, first of all, before we get into the cute, uh, when they revived IG 11, it was goddamn terrifying. Like I, th- th- that, that stopped. No, seriously. It was like, Oh damn, this is like creepy. Like they full on the whole stop motion thing. I guess Phil Tippett. I heard like, I guess from somewhere that it was him who did that. That was, Oh really? Oh, really? Yeah, that, that's uh, cool. I, apparently I, I could have swore. I heard that either way. It felt very old school, but also very mm-hmm. creepy. I'm like, dang, I just, you know, I, I love that. Oh, by the way, I like that new protocol. The, the um, joy design that we saw. That we I see. do too. Like, yeah, like the kind wait, of like the bronze with the with the green the eyes. Bill. Yeah, that's a cool looking. Yeah, w- w- with the like the duck bill. Um, the duck bill thing. I, I I guess I didn't realize it, but was in Book of Boba Fett. Was that in the Mandalorian season pr- previously too? Because I don't remember. I don't think so. Oh, I'm but not maybe sure. I'm wrong. But either way, I saw it in, in in one of the um that one lady's like like you know den that they have blowing up whatever. Um, they have the droids in there, but I love the way that looked. I'm like, why does the kid let awesome bronze droid? He just saved him by putting like, <laughs> used, you know what I mean? I'm like, he just yeah. helped you like save the child. Like use that one. I will say really quick. Um, my prediction, I think zero, the droid zero will play a part somewhere in all of this. Like there's going to hmm. be something hmm. because, because remember, he, I thought he was going to prove a point when they had him on last time. Oh, wait, no, he's blown up now. Yeah. I was going to say he would have been blown up on the razor. Uh, no, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot that he was blown up. Uh, anyway. Um, that being said, but, uh, but yeah. so was IG 11 and here we are. Yeah, that's so. fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, man, I gotta say, uh, when they, when he, that whole scene between like grief and, and him and like, and the, the little guy, I forgot their names already. Um, the uh what are they called angelins oh my god like that was that might be my favorite part of the whole episode it was like it was amazing it was, it was so playful it was so funny and like they were so it was like overloaded cute grief and din just cracking me up oh my god that was great it feels like they are building towards something i don't really want ig11 to be remade or anything like that which it seems like they're going that way but I will say that it feels like it, this is a good like development either way. I like I like how they're making him earn it and everything. And so I, I like where they're going with this. Yeah, this was definitely a story thread I did not expect to see um, with, with the revival of IG-11, or at least the goal uh, to have him revive. But yet it makes sense for what he wants to do, have make sure have like a droid with him to make sure he can return to Mandalore and not die from the poison. And 
if it's going to be a droid. As he said, he calls him his friend, but also, um, even though to many it might not be a living being, but the first kind of being to see his face without the helmet on and mm. to have to have him trust him to even do that to save his life, obviously, too. That's a big factor of it, too. But you just understand why Din would want to bring back IG-11 and even refers to him as a friend. So um, I think we're definitely going to see him again. They wouldn't have introduced this plot thread and have it end right here, especially when he's going to go looking for a part that the Enzellons need to repair it. So I think we'll definitely see him. Maybe just not for very many episodes for the season. I don't know if they're going to save him for the very last one or the last few, but um, looks like we'll definitely see IG-11 again in some capacity. And But yeah, just this whole sequence <laughs> that we got... Uh, or we found out this information and this plot thread, which is very entertaining. Like you guys mentioned, that scene in, with the Anzellans, just visually it looked great with seeing Din just cramped in there, sitting down, looking through a window, <laughs> talking to grief. And this is another one of those things that, that I really loved about this episode. It just has a, a very nostalgia feel to me as far as like those old 1980s children's fantasy type movies um, where you get things like that big people in a small uh house talking to these little beings these fantastical creatures flying yeah out it around. reminded me of the the little guys from willow that actually reminded me of in the uh, never-ending story where atreyu meets those like that old couple they're really small and like him falcor's like talking to him throughout the window i i think he's in the house but it's like the big people with the small people talking to someone outside the house of their house. It was just really had okay, that. See, vibe. I haven't, I haven't seen that one, but that's what it reminded me of. And then there's another character who had kind of had that feel to like those old school, 80 children's movie, which we'll get to soon. But just, I just love the vibe and just that this episode had with these moments, with these different type of creatures and characters and settings that we got to see in this episode. It was just really great. And yeah, Grogu hugging <laughs> the end zone was just great. It was it was nice to see Grogu enamored with something that he didn't want to eat for, uh, for a change. <laughs> he just wanted to hug it. Like you guys said, he finally found another being that's smaller than him, like a sentient being that's talking. And just the reaction that they had with him, just uh, how they were talk, <laughs> talking and to how Din can't understand them, Grief can, but if you listen closely, just us as an audience, you can understand what they're saying, but it's just funny how their dialect is. So yeah, just all around, just great, great scene. And just, again, all brought because IG-11 is being reintroduced here. So yeah, just more great stuff. Kyle, you've never seen Never Ending Story? Nope. Wow. I would wow. put that on your list as an old school movie to check out it is yeah, it, yeah. It, See, it's, again, it, i wasn't it's a crazy. child of the 80s so <laughs> yeah yeah you grew up with ben 10 and and kim impossible and all those classic cartoons <laughs> that no one cares about okay so ben 10 was a little after my time like oh my i mean i remember okay. it i wouldn't say i grew up on that but I, I just um, don't see how you can correlate never ending story to Ben 10 as like the equivalent of that. I, the, the, yeah, the, I, I, the, I don't know the, where he got that came, from. They're the first things that came into my mind. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry they all can't be Harry Potter. Okay. God. Okay. Does that work? <laughs> that might be a little better comparison. But. Yeah. That I grew up on. Um, but yeah, so it was, that was, you know, a really fun dynamic there between, uh, you know, Din and the Anzellans. Like I said, the, it kind of gave me vibes of Willow, just kind of with the way he, with the way the Anzellan talked too. Um, kind of reminded me of those those little dudes um, from that movie. But um, 
Yeah, so and they tell him that uh, you know they can't re- uh, they can't restore IG eleven without a new memory processor unit or something like that. So um, then you know off he goes to um, oh by the way I should specify when I talk about the little dudes from Willow I'm not talking about Willow I'm talking about like the little little dudes that are like six inches tall or something. Yeah, that, you know um, yeah. I knew who you meant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so so then Din goes off to uh, you know gets into ship. He leaves. Um, oh no no no! We what? forgot the whole pirate sequence. Yes, um, <laughs> I was gonna say. Yeah, I was like, well, I was gonna talk about the the space fight with the pirates, and then I was like, oh wait, we didn't talk about the actual pirates um, because there's also a part when you know he's talking with uh grief you know in his office and the droid comes in and is like you know magistrate cargo you know there's someone outside to talk to you it's pirates so they go out they talk to the pirates in the street the pirates are like and you know this is where i talked about like grief's kind of old past catching up with him you've got this pirate gang that's trying to get into the school that used to be the bar and they're like well you know we did a job for you that helped pay for this and so for us like it's still the bar and you're going to come inside and have a drink with us and he's like no you're going to get off my planet and stop trying to drink inside my school and you know um and the pirate's like you know oh, it seems like you've gone soft and grief you know shows him his blaster and he's like i'll show you i've gone soft um and they kind of end up you know having the the old western stare down you know gunslinger quick on the draw kind of thing and grief shoots first you know shoots the the pirate's gun out of his hand and uh you know tells the rest of them to leave and instead they try to draw their guns and you know i'll shoot and of course he's got mando there with him and so mando's quick on the draw too and mando and grief you know shoot down all the pirates except for the lead guy and grief tells him, you know, get out of here and tell your boss that, you know, Navarro is no longer friendly to pirates. And Mando's like, you sure you want to let him go? And he's like, yeah, you know, he'll spread the word that Navarro is respectable now, which as you're watching as the audience, you're like, mm, I don't think so. They're going to be back. Um, but uh, it was a, a fun little, you know, gunfight shootout sequence there. And then also grief tells Mando, he's like, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to like, I need a, a marshal. Um, and tries to convince him to stay and and help protect the town. And Mando's like, well, you know, what happened to Cara Dune? And uh, Grief says that after she brought in Moff Gideon, she got recruited by New Republic Special Forces. Um, and so now we've gotten, you know, our, our in-universe explanation for why Cara Dune isn't in at least this season. Um, or, I mean, she could show up by the end of the season. Who knows? I still hope that they just recast that part and keep going because they were starting to do some interesting things with her character. What happened um, to Marshall Mar- uh, Dune? Well, she went off the rails and decided to go against <laughs> her her, uh, her uh, boss's wishes and thought she could be above everything else and, and didn't listen to people after getting multiple warnings and decided to keep going and thought pride was a better option than getting a paycheck and then decided, to, you know, we just recast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what it feels. I mean, listen, I lied, Cara Dune. I kind of feel bad about everyone in the situation, but regardless of how you feel politically on what's going on, she just... She should have just stopped when when she should have. They definitely, I, you know what I mean. And you know what? Yes, freedom of speech, all that stuff. But you know what? You just you got to be smarter than that. You know, I'm sorry. I, I, and it sucks because Caradine was a cool character. I wa- I remember watching Samando recently, and I'm like, man, like it's bummer. Like I, you know, I watched The Believer, and I'm just like, you know, in the um in the last episode, oh my god, uh, I forgot what it's called. Um, the rescue. I, I thought I was. I thought the rescue was earlier for some reason. But the whole no. The, res- the rescue is the Luke episode. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought the rescue was earlier for some reason. Um, like the name, not the episode, but the the name the rescue was a different episode. Um, but yeah, like the whole beginning when when like the guys like talking about Alderaan and all that blah blah blah. I, I'm yeah. like, man, like this is some good stuff. And I'm like, I you know it I to be honest, I'm a big believer in like redemption and like grace, and, and I would love to see if there's a way we could bring her back somehow, like in and, and be let like forgiveness, which is never gonna happen, obviously, especially in this day and age. But that being said, I like you, Kyle. I wish they would they would just bring her like recast her because I think there's some rich storytelling in that character, and I think it'd be cool, but you know, I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't want the uh, the powder keg that would happen if they brought Gina Carano back, but I hope they bring Cara Dune back um, at some point, you know, and I can understand them, you know, sort of writing her off for now, but even they, there was an interview with Dave Filoni, um, you know, there's been a lot of interviews with him and, and John and all these guys in the past few days before the show aired, but um, in one interview, they addressed that and said that, you know, that character still exists in the Star Wars universe. She's still out there, you know, will we see her again? Maybe like Dave kind of being his usual coy self. Um, but basically confirming that they didn't just write her out completely or they didn't kill her off or whatever. So I would imagine that we probably are going to see that character again at some point. They're kind of just giving things time to blow over right now. But also, I think it kind of makes sense that she's not in this season Um just because, you know, this season really seems to be focused more on Din and the Mandalorians and Bo-Katan and, you know, returning to Mandalore and all that kind of stuff that, you know, Cara Dune really doesn't have much to do with. Um Although we know from the trailers, too, that we are going to at least get some stuff with like Coruscant and the New Republic and, you know, sort of this emerging bigger threat that's out there. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, at least at least it was nice to get some confirmation right off the bat, you know, to have them address it and not leave us wondering, like, what are they going to do with this character and, you know, just sort of not address it all season. So um was glad to just kind of get that out of the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's also funny that like every time Mando comes back, grief is always trying to get him to stay. He's like, Oh, stay, protect the town, stay, help us with the mining, stay, you know, I'll make you a landowner and blah, blah, blah. And every time Mando's like, you know, I got something more important to do. Um, cause grief even told him too, he's like, you know, Oh yeah, look at all this building that we're doing and I'll give you a prime tract of land right over there. And then he's trying to get him to stay and be the marshal. And maybe one of these days, maybe that'll be the, the end of the show will be Mando finally retiring on navarro after grief you know asks him for like the 67th time um and grief is like oh too late now i'm retiring to you know bespin or something i don't know um whatever he's done giving grief grief he'll retire <laughs> um but yeah so um you know again that, that was after the whole the whole throwdown with the pirates and everything um and of course you know cool to see some more alien pirate designs here like the lead guy was a uh, a nikto i think um and you had you know some like celestins and clatoonians and stuff like that um i gotta say i don't know what it was if better prosthetics or the budget went more to that but like you look really good <laughs> that alien yeah as as especially as the lead and... guy yes yeah him in particular yeah, yeah. and there was something uh, it was there was something in his eyes. He made for a very good pirate because like the performance was good. The prosthetics were good. And there was, maybe it's just me. There was something in his eyes that reminded me of Jack Sparrow that mm -hmm. made it very easy to see him as a pirate. Huh. 
Like now that you mention it, I kind of know what you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, I, I'm like, it would be wild if they actually had like Johnny Depp cameo as just a prosthetic <laughs> up like alien pirate. I don't think it was him, but it was there was something in the eyes and something in that performance where I was just like, this is a very believable pirate right here. Well, you know, and one of the things I thought was was really interesting. I've seen people kind of complain about the pirates a little bit. We'll get to the we'll get to the the, the big one oh, eventually, yes. <laughs> but but I want to say right now, um, I I could see why people didn't like this. It, it seemed like it, this there was a little bit of a cheesiness to it, and I, I I've seen people kind of criticize that part of the show, but I, I I go back to saying like you have to balance these things out. There are dark moments of Mandalorian. And in Star Wars, but you have to balance it with some good stuff. You can't have these guys going in, chopping people's arms off and like taking out their eyes and being like true pirates. I mean, that's just way too dark, right? I mean, they serve a good purpose. And I feel like it was it, it was necessary. I mean, they ended up killing all four of those guys anyway, right? So I mean, come on. But um, no, I, I really like this. I, I, they all look great. I agree. They definitely upped the budget on the prosthetics. Um I think it's a Nick two or it's, it's something along those lines. Um, I, I like seeing the pirates aspect a lot. I, I love this. This is a under uh, used aspect. I think I know people like, what, like, well, listen, there's an underused, I, I think idea of, of pirates and star Wars that it's there. And when it's used like with Hondo and like uh, even the Marauders back in uh battle for Endor. Yes. And I said it like, those are basically pirates, yeah. right, Tim? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, there are an underused element of Star Wars. I feel like that it's there's you can there's so much cool storytelling that you can do with them that it's cool to kind of bring in that out a little bit because the pirate aspect is I think a big part part of Star Wars that people don't really you know I mean like that they call Han Solo a space pirate you know like, oh you're a space pirate like there is that element of like the wild wild west that I in like the whole idea of that space is you're kind of like you know it's a little dangerous out there you know you can't just be like. It, you know, whatever. And so I think the the whole pirate aspect is a really cool idea that I think that I, I'm really looking forward to seeing brought in a broadened a little bit more in skeleton crew. And even like, look at, um, in my opinion, and I know people, there's some people out there who act like Star Wars resistance is like top tier Star Wars still. And they try, everyone doesn't get it. And I'm like, man, I'm glad you found your thing. Cause I don't, I don't, I like it, but I did not see it that way. <laughs> the best, but I'll say this, the best aspect of that show, in my opinion, was the pirates. I like the pirates a lot. I thought they were cool looking, and I like the idea of them. So, I, I really, I really think that that that's something that they. Should, I'm glad that they're going back to in this, especially in this time of the era of Star Wars, because I mean, like right now, it's pretty much like anarchy. You know, going. You know, I would say anarchy in the UK because there's a, a, a South. Oh my god! Uh, so, so, oh my god! SLC Punk reference if you guys if, if, of the two people who've watched that who listening to this maybe two people besides me uh anarchy in the uk uh but yeah it's complete anarchy in the galaxy at, at this point and it feels like pirates would even have even more power at this point so i like that they're they're coming in here and I, i'm glad that like they're I, i'm glad to see that aspect be brought into the show more yeah and we know we're, we're definitely going to see him again because this sequence kind of mm -hmm. answered one of my questions about one of the trailers we got as far as um, a battle taking place on Navarro with the Mandalorians there. And I was wondering like, oh man, are the Mandalorians actually attacking Navarro? Like, because we saw some like bodies hit the ground and we thought, oh, those and I thought anyway, could those just be citizens of Navarro? But no, I think those are going to be the pirates that <laughs> we saw here. So it looks mm -hmm. like they're going to be going back to Navarro and 
for we'll see why or how Mando gets uh, the other Mandalorians out with the battle, but it should be for an awesome sequence <laughs> coming up in a future episode. Um, but yeah, that's kind of obviously how the end sequence, which we'll get to later, kind of set up how uh, this is just the first aspect of a story thread for the season, grief and dealing with uh, his past and these pirates. So yeah, we'll definitely be seeing them again. But it just when I saw that scene, it was like, yeah, okay, now I know what that whole action sequence is going to be uh, from the trailer here on Navarro. Yeah, and it's kind of a um, a theme we've seen repeated in Star Wars before, where you have the hero who has an ally who is sort of a reformed like scoundrel or somebody that kind of has a shady past and then that shady past catches up with them through you know pirates or bounty hunters or whatever that are coming back to collect some old debt you've obviously got that in the original trilogy with han being chased by you know jabba and boba fett and everything you get that in jedi fallen order with uh grease and the the haxian brood that comes after him that you know kidnaps you halfway through the game um to a certain extent, you almost have that in the sequel trilogy with Poe in Rise of Skywalker and kind of his history as a spice runner, although they kind of threw that in out of nowhere and retconned his much more interesting backstory from the comics. Um, but then, you know, now you have that with uh, Mando, you know, again, with, um, you know, grief kind of trying to go on the straight and narrow and, and you know, build a reputable business and, and uh, town for himself and these guys coming back and going like, nah, nah, wait a minute. Like we, we want the old grief back. We still, you know, we want to do business. You know, he talks about like, Oh, you paid us for murder and mayhem in here. And now you're trying to pretend it's a school. So, um, I mean, I don't know what the main objective of these pirates is aside from just trying to cause more murder and mayhem. I don't know if grief still owes them money or if they're just trying to mess with them or what, but this is going to be a fun uh, sort of subplot to follow over the course of the season. And like you said, Tim, it'll be interesting to see how that intersects with the Mandalorians and um, kind of how those goals all line up. But um, yeah, it was a really fun, fun little element to to introduce. And then, of course, Mando goes off planet again, presumably goes off looking for a memory unit for um, for IG-11. But before he can even get out of the system, you know, he, he ends up going through these asteroids. These pirates are on his tail. And I love the way they set this up where he's teaching Grogu about, you know, he tells him like, oh, as a Mandalorian, yeah. you have to learn to navigate the galaxy. And so he starts showing him what all the instruments on the ship are. And he's like, this is your hyperspace map and this is your fuel gauge and this is your enemy target indicator and there's guys on our tail and you know it's the pirates coming after him um and then we end up with this really cool dogfight sequence with you know just mando and the n1 starfighter against six pirate ships he shoots down five of them in spectacular fashion doing all these especially like these cool stealth maneuvers yep. um <laughs> through this asteroid field where you know the pirates lose them and they're looking for him and you know he'll just come out from behind an asteroid and take one of them down um it kind of reminded me of um shoot i'm trying to think if there's like a specific like car chase sequence or something, but it was almost like something out of a Batman movie, you know, when he's mm -hmm. in the dark, like picking guys yep. off one by one. It was like that in space. Like that was I, the, I the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it had that kind of vibe to it. It was so cool. Yeah. I freaking love that space battle sequence. I mean, we saw some shots of it in the trailer just being excited that, you know, we're going to see the Naboo Starfighter in action again against other Starfighter ships. And it, it did not disappoint in. Again, I just love how Star Wars and George always has this mindset too, how we have to make the space battles different each for each of the movies. And 
that's continuing on here in the Mandalorian, where this is a different type of space battle where, as you said, Kyle, it was it was a stealth space battle, and I absolutely loved it. And that's the first thing I thought of too. This is like the scene in Batman Begins where he's on the dark, where he's just taking out these enemies on on the the, the docking bay that you can't see him, but the enemies get pulled back. Or and even Amando had a moment in season one, um, in the sixth episode, uh, where he takes out um i forget which member of the crew it, it was yeah um, well it's kind of all moment. of them right in um well, i guess it's mayfeld that like there's like the was flashing lights in the hallway yeah it's like, like the flashing. yeah mm. yeah but yeah just that whole element where you just can't see um, um your main hero there who's gonna do the attack and but now you're just doing that in space where he's hiding behind an asteroid he just comes out of nowhere and, and the enemy ships have no idea that uh, how to cope with this and how to deal with this type of maneuver and then it all culminates as it always does like whether it's batman or in that moment in the season one episode where the character comes out of the shadows from behind he's like he raises up and he's like towering over <laughs> his opponent right there ready to make the final blow and then that's how it was here the naboo starfighter comes up behind three ships looking as dominant as it <laughs> as ever and just takes them all out it was just such a cool sequence uh, to experience uh, because we haven't gotten very many space battles in any of the series just yet and if we did they're very short i'm glad that this was a sequence in itself of just a really cool space action sequence and being a different one that we really haven't seen before in star Wars. i was yeah i, I was surprised at how long it went to be honest and how mm -hmm. great it was like you said like i i you know I don't know if they spent more money or if they just kind of, they again, like they're just going to position their budget a little certain way or if they found a cheaper way to make it look good and, and, but also like whatever, you know, and have it be like, you know, fun and, and not break the bank for it. It really, it was a great sequence, um, you know, that I, I love seeing. I mean, this was again, Rick Fumiyama, oh my God, Rick Fumiyama, um, he is, you know, I, I criticize the beginning of this of the show I, of, the, of the episode. Not my favorite pacing and all that stuff, but I gotta tell you, that guy can he's, he's a just a damn good director, just a damn good yeah. director. Because I feel like after after the that introduction, they the, they they cram so much in like a half hour or twenty minutes, but the pacing's so good that I'm like, man, like I I don't ever feel that I'm going like it's going too fast, and and how much they. A credit to both John Favreau and Rick, like they both did a great job. I think uh, again, they compressed a lot of information, but it never felt like I was, it was going too fast. And what to that? To honestly, when you look and uh, back at what they gave us, there's a lot going on here, and I thought that was really, mm -hmm. really, really well done. So, I, I think the the pacing of this was so perfect, and I love the fact I love this whole space battle, which I'm not sure if we're ready to talk about the big reveal at the end here, but uh, but yeah. I love this whole space battle. It was, it was cool to see. And I'm glad we're getting more of them. Yeah, definitely. And I hope we get some more. Well, I mean, just from the trailers, we know we're going to get some more really cool, like ship to ship combat uh, the rest of the season, whether it be in space or like on the surface of planets. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see, you know, sort of this scale of, uh, of a space battle. Like you said, we've never really seen even anything on this scale in any of the series yet. So far, we had a couple things in Mando, um, you know, in the first couple of seasons where it was like one on, you know, one ship against one ship, or even in that finale, um, from season two, you had like slave one and a couple of tie fighters and the Imperial cruiser, um, 
I'm looking forward to the day when we get like a new Republic fleet versus Thrawn's fleet. Like, you know, they're going to have to dedicate like an entire episode's budget just to that space battle. Yeah, but, right. um, at least for now, like it was cool to see. And honestly, I remember watching this thinking like, man, as much as I love that ship, I'm kind of glad they destroyed the Razor Crest and gave Mando a Starfighter because like you couldn't do this in the Razor Crest. Like, no, it was it was fun seeing some of the scenes we got with the Razor Crest, you know, um, we got that one scene in season one where it's like the very beginning of an episode and there's like a bounty hunter coming after him and he has a dog fight with that one bounty hunter. And then there was this, the uh, episode in season two in uh, the passenger, the one with the frog lady where he's getting chased by the new Republic pilots. Um, and that's a really cool chase sequence at the beginning of that episode. Um, but it's just the razor crest on the run the whole time. And for uh, you know, a, a big like cargo hauler gunship type thing, like it's pretty fast, but yeah, you couldn't be doing these maneuvers through an asteroid field and sneaking up on people from behind and stuff. And so just like, I'm I'm glad that we get to see Mando doing this and I'm glad we get to see a Naboo Starfighter, you know, back in the spotlight getting to do this cool stuff. So that was a lot of fun. Of course, then we end up to the point where there's the one Starfighter left and it's the main Nikto guy. And he's like, boss, I'm bringing the Mandalorian to you. And they come around the side of this big asteroid and you've got this giant pirate battleship just hanging on the edge of the system waiting. And then we get introduced to Gorian Shard, who um, looks like Boss Nass mixed with like Swamp Thing. Um <sighs> Like, <laughs> oh my god, I thought you actually said the word swamp thing actually blows my mind to be quite honest. Oh my god, oh my god, that's amazing. Go ahead, um, but I freaking love this dude. Like, again, you talked about kind of that campy, like 80s movie kind of feel, yep. like you know, this big lumbering you know a muppet he, man like, he like, a yeah. Yeah. Yep. like he looks he looks corny but like also like legitimately looks intimidating at the same time i'm like this guy is going to be a fun villain for this season again especially for these kind of subplots um you know like if he was the main villain and he like it was like all the mandalorians and everything had to rally around and you know defeat this guy and he was a, a major threat to the galaxy i'd be like this is a little goofy but i'm like you know, we've got our main plot thread with with Mando and restoring Mandalore and all this. And on the side, we've got, you know, grief having to deal with his past with some pirates and this big, goofy green dude who just makes for like a mean, menacing pirate boss. I'm like, I love it. I love it. I know, you know, it maybe doesn't work for everybody. But um, again, I'm like, I can't wait to see. Uh, more of this guy throughout the season and again just the way that they staged like him on the bridge of his ship and you know like just the way he moved towards the camera and everything actually as we were talking i was just looking at the credits on wikipedia because i couldn't remember his name i knew it was gory and something i i couldn't remember gory and chart and i saw that uh carrie jones who also does Kersantin in the book of boba fett was actually the performance artist for this character oh, so okay. he's the one oh, cool. under under the costume doing all the movement and stuff and then there's somebody else that does the voice of him um, but yeah, I think, I think he's going to be a super fun character. Um, I can't wait to see, you know, obviously there's going to be more battles with pirates this season. I don't know if they'll end up killing him by the end of the season, or if he's going to be kind of a, a long running villain that maybe could show up in some other stuff. But, um, yeah, at least for this introduction, like he had a fun vibe to him and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. And also, 
like that was a freaking cool looking ship like this battle cruiser that he's got with all these gun turrets on it and a big hangar bay on the top to launch all the fighters out of and stuff he's really bad at math because you know he tells the man (laughs) he he tells din he's like uh I, i forget what he says you know Din says something to him over the comm and he's like, oh, you think I'm just going to let you go after you gun down four of my ships? And I'm like, we clearly just watched Din gun down five of your ships. Um, maybe you just, you know, you forgot how many men you sent to their depths, but that's okay. Uh, pirates probably aren't the best at math anyways, but um, yeah, fun character, cool ship. Have we seen that ship before? Like not that specific one, but that Hammerhead. design hammerhead well but it's not the um it's not like the right, hammerhead no, corvette. Right. it's not the rebel fleet hammerhead corvette well no I, yeah yeah but it's but I, I think in my opinion and i mean to cut you off i'm sorry um but i i think that it it's supposed to be in that same era though like like meaning like i think those are older designs like the whole like when i because i'm thinking the hammerhead will still be like a callback to the previous um uh to the previous uh, what do you want to call it era you know of the old republic it's gonna be like those those are, those are older ships are kind of hanging out there because it definitely looks old and i like that i like the fact that it has a i feel that the hammerhead aspect is like a symbol of of that saying like hey these are these are older ships kind of a thing like an older model you know maybe kind of like the the a corvette if you will um you know or a carillion corvette no um but you get what i'm saying though the whole idea of like this embodies that this this like older kind of like you know classic idea and that it's all you know junked out and everything i, I don't i like that i like that i i don't think the, the ship specifically is a new design i'm pretty sure but i think that the, yeah. the end is is the, the end the hammerhead portion though is really symbolic and showing you that it's an older ship and this this could this has lineage of itself in my opinion yeah no i just couldn't um i I was trying to remember if if we had seen that type of ship somewhere before because obviously yeah it's got that hammerhead look to it but like it's specifically like it's wider in the back it almost looks like a star destroyer um definitely smaller than a star destroyer but you know it's just kind of like it's got that flattened like wedge shape in the back but then it like you know tapers towards the front but then stretches out the other way into that hammerhead shape it's a really cool design i just couldn't remember if we'd seen it before somewhere or not but again looking on wikipedia it looks like um i mean i'm not seeing it as like a a familiar type of ship that's been um seen somewhere else before well actually so it's described as a corsair ship and in the appearances it says that it's also been in a couple of the thrawn novels so Uh, yeah i don't know this is it definitely seems like it's the first time it's been seen on screen. So yeah, Thrawn novels. No thanks. I'm good. I've read two of them. I'm I'm done. Don't <laughs> need any more. We're good. I I, I just want to say, really, I seeing this guy in action, it was awesome. Like I I when I saw him, I went no, yeah. I was like yes, <laughs> because you know. And what what again? What's his name? I'm terrible with names. We all know this. Gorian Shard. Yeah. Like, listen. Like, I love how ridiculous like, you said it per- perfectly. There's something kind of menacing with the red eyes and everything and like and cheesy about him. But that's the thing about the Muppets. And, I, and he definitely looks like a Jim Henson like design, like totally. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's purposeful. Actually, no, I think it is because look at um the, the Bendu, right? That's based uh, that's heavily influenced by Jim Henson designs, right? Like back in the day. I wonder if, if um, Dave Filoni 
is a big, you know, has a hand in that potentially, you know, and I, or, you know, a real good, you know, that lead design, because I've heard rumors of this, this guy playing a big part in skeleton crew, right? That's, that's the latest rumor apparently, which I'm 100% down. Give, oh, give, I'm totally give down to for me. that now. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. thought I saw an interview where John Favreau said that like, you know, there would be crossover between skeleton crew and mando but there was not necessarily going to be anything introduced in this season of mando that was going to carry over into skeleton crew um but that could have been you know taken out of context or you know maybe he just meant like there's not going to be any specific episodes that are kind of like a backdoor pilot for skeleton crew or they're not introducing any of the main characters or anything like that yeah yeah Um, so but but with with all that being said I, i think that like there is something really there is that that the Jim Henson knew um and his and his company obviously they knew how to tell a line of like creepy but yet kind of fun or dangerous kind of fun and have it where kids can be like oh it's like this is what it is they can see him and be like both love him and be kind of a little bit scared of him too i i can identify with that because i think labyrinth um, is a great example of that where you watch that there's lots of things about that movie that like are creepy and weird but you also are, are, are so, as a kid you're scared of it but you're also like it's also mm-hmm. cute and cuddly at the same time where it almost feels like this whole sense of like false security like and you subconsciously you subconsciously put that in your mind so you're drawn to it as a child even as an adult i'm drawn to it obviously because i'm like oh my god oh, you know so i mean like there's I just love the fact they really towed that line really well. And they went definitely, that's a, that's a definitely something that they went for um, that specific design and it, it works. And I, when I saw it, Tim, and I, I know this is a hot button topic. I almost thought Dren gear a little bit. I'm like, mm. is it Dren gear? Like huh, I, it's cool. not, yeah, I know but, it's not, but yeah, but just, I know exactly I what you mean. Feel. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, let's, let's be real. Kyle said it perfectly. It's freaking swamp thing. Right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, that's what, it, I mean, that was, oh my God. I was, I wish I, oh, I, 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 I swept me off my feet. Uh, Kyle, that was perfect. <laughs> I, you, a call book reference. I love you. Um, no, but like, it was just really, it was really cool to see this really unique design. And like, again, the, it's just, it's so different than what we've seen in Mando. And I know people might think it's abrasive. And that's also one online, one of my buddies said, you wouldn't see this on Andor. I'm like, you know, I'm going to push back on that a little bit only because I think that it's about the tone of the character. If you put that guy in in a darker lit room and he's like not being like, like, you know, all like uppity and like, you know, being over the top, you could probably make that work. In my opinion, because if you, again, it's about setting the tone and having him interact with someone like, I don't know. I, I look at I, I look at Jim Henson and, and some of the things that he did in the in the and he put in like super crazy looking things, but had them made, made them work in the context of the show, um, especially those Jim Henson presents uh, ser- uh, series, the um, the fairy tales or whatever that is. Oh, the storyteller. Um, yeah, storyteller. Thank you. Like there's some like it kind of toes that line. You know yeah. what I mean, Tim? Mm-hmm. Like in my opinion. So I feel like I'm not saying like it would be seamless, but I think it could make it work. But obviously, Tony Gilroy has no interest of doing that because he wants to be everything to be like Blade Runner and Star Wars. But which again, I like, I like, I love Andor, but that's not Tony Gilroy's thing. He's which again, I think is both a positive and a negative in some ways. But I digress. Um, I, I love this guy. He give you know was it Gorman. That is his name Gorman Foreman. Norman? Gorian. <laughs> Gorian. Gorian Shard. Gorian. Oh, I was way off. 
<laughs> Samsonite was way off. Um, All right, let's, let's, everybody, everybody listening, start taking bets now on how many episodes in we're going to be of the season before Paul gets the guy's name right. It, it's I'm never going to get it right. Oh, <laughs> I got it right that time. Gore, yeah, Gore, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With, I'm, without I'm, us having to remind you. Fair enough. All right, I'm in. I love it. No, yeah, not to repeat everything you guys just said, but I'm in complete 100% agreement with you on Corey and Shard. Why, when he popped on screen, I was like, oh, what the? This is awesome. <laughs> I <laughs> love the look of this guy. And that was the final moment of this episode. Like I said, that brought me to that like 80s uh, kids movie nostalgia uh, memories to me because it just had that look, as you said, that Muppet feel to it, something you would see. And you said it perfectly, Paul, where I think it's like something you're enamored with as a kid, but yet a little frightening at the same time. I could totally see that being me as a little kid <laughs> seeing this character for the first time. Uh, it's something creepy about him, but yet you want to see more of him. So yeah, I think it was just such a cool, unique uh, look to a Star Wars character that, uh, especially live action, that we really haven't seen yet. And maybe it will be ridiculous to some, but because um, it is a little ridiculous looking but i'm all here for it i think like you said again paul the tone of it and how he was used felt right for that type of look of a character and have him be a pirate is very fitting for it so i cannot wait to see him again later on the season so yeah <laughs> that was another welcome surprise of this episode that i was not expecting yeah definitely and i mean like i said if they if they do carry this guy over into skeleton crew or you know other shows that are taking place in the same time period i think that would be awesome I also hope that somehow tangentially through them bringing in more pirates and scum and villainy and stuff like that, this somehow leads to Hondo. I know a lot of people were kind of expecting that when they said like, oh, there's pirates here. Um, people were expecting that we were going to see Hondo, you know, right off the bat. But um, I don't know. That didn't jump to mind right away. And I think maybe because I was already thinking of like the Nikto guys that we had seen in the trailers and stuff. But then... Um, I don't know. Once he started talking to him and stuff and was talking about like, oh, our boss and everything. I was like, do these guys work for Hondo? And then they mentioned Gory and Chard. I was like, okay, they, you know, Hondo's not here yet, but they could definitely use this as an avenue to work in Hondo. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at all now if Hondo makes an appearance in this season. Like, yeah, be this season's one of the surprise characters that shows up for the first time in live action for this season yeah i mean this season would be cool or you know in skeleton crew or ahsoka or something i think he's got to show up at some point but also yeah. like again just seeing the prosthetics on these guys and you know the level that they're at i'm like hondo's gonna look good when he shows up so i'm looking forward to it um but yeah so that was a fun sequence there and then of course you know gorian tells mando he's like you know surrender your ship and we'll spare your life and uh mando tells grogu never trust a pirate and he hits the you know those boost thruster things on the starfighter that is not the hyperdrive but makes him go super fast and he flies over the ship and they're not able to catch him and he takes off um and then we go to the last scene of the episode, which was cool. I felt like it was, I don't know how you guys felt about this. It felt like it was a little disjointed because I thought he was going to go to wherever he needed to go to get the, the memory circuit that mm -hmm. the Anzellans were talking about. I thought that was going to be kind of like, okay, this is our first mission, um, you know, sort of first part of the story that we got to knock out. Instead, he goes to see Bogatan on Kalavala, which is another planet in the Mandalorian system that's been mentioned before um, in Clone Wars and Rebels. So it's cool to see that on screen finally. Um, 
And this is where she's got her castle and it's all empty and deserted except for her sitting on her throne. And we find out that after the Mando season two finale, after she failed to get the dark saber, that her forces and her support kind of dissipated and that uh, her other Mandalorians that she had rallied and the, you know, the Imperial ships that they had captured and stuff, they've now taken those and are just going around the galaxy as mercenaries Um which was another interesting plot bit because I'm like, okay, are we going to catch up with those guys at some point? Like, and, you know, is Din going to bring them back into the fold as Mandalorians or is that going to just become another like pirate faction that we have to deal with? Um, so it was an interesting little wrinkle to the story there. Um, and now, you know, Bogatan seems to be... Um, kind of given up at least at this point i mean i know i'm sure she's gonna get back in the fold and you know is, is she seems like she's definitely harboring some resentment and you know i mean maybe she's just kind of regrouping and trying to figure out her next move but um yeah she'll be back for the dark saber and back for mandalore at some point but for now she's just kind of sitting and moping on her throne um and she tells din she's like hey you know you still have the dark saber you go find him wave that thing around and get him to do whatever you want um and just being very you know cynical about it um and the whole reason din came there to find her is he was going to tell her he's like hey if you still got that fleet and you're wanting to go retake mandalore like i'll join you now because i need to go back there um and so it's like now their goals are kind of aligning and she's like yeah that's not my goal anymore um but he tells her about his mission to go and uh you know, be redeemed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore and all that. And she's like, that's all superstition. Like the mines were where we originally found Beskar and started mining that on Mandalore. And like, that's why it was significant. But aside from that, like there's no magical properties in the water and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also see, it's really interesting because Din talks about like the planet being cursed. And again, Bogatan saying that like, that's all superstition and everything. And like, you know, we've seen, I mean, we've seen Mandalore, we've seen, uh, you know, the bombing of Mandalore and those flashbacks from Book of Boba Fett and stuff. And so it's like, we've seen this on a very practical level. And it's like, I almost didn't realize how sort of like superstitious Din's group is about this, um, where it's like, oh, they really do think that like the planet is cursed. And they, I mean, he almost seems to think that, that like the, the surface is poisoned or something like that. And that there's like some magical properties to these mines and stuff. Um and Bogatan is like, yeah, no, like it's just the planet that got destroyed. Like, go there, do whatever you want. But like, I'm kind of done with this. Um, and again, like, I, I mean, obviously, we've seen from from trailers and images and stuff that they're going to end up back together later in the season. But it's like we definitely have not seen the last of Bogatan. She's going to get off that throne and you know have more um, ambitious goals in mind at some point. But it's just going to be very interesting seeing Din go to mandalore for himself and kind of reconcile like what the armorer has told him about mandalore versus what bogatan has told him about mandalore versus like what he sees when he's there for himself um and that was that's kind of where i wanted to get into sort of my speculation about where we could see uh din going forward like leading the mandalorians because this kind of goes into a bigger just difference of ideologies right where you have the um the armor and the children of the watch and this cult that's very like fundamentalist and, you know, steeped in tradition and, um, you know, you never remove your helmet and, you know, it's all about like solidarity and this is the way and everything. And then you have Bo-Katan and their group who, yeah, like they take their helmets off. They're, um, 
you know, they're, they're more involved in Mandalore as like a government and a military and all that kind of stuff. But, and, and still clearly very much steeped in like roots and tradition, but not as much as the other group and the armor and their group sees that group as like, Oh, they drifted away from the true path. And that's why things didn't go well for them. And, you know, the, uh, the empire, you know, wiped them out and everything. And of course, in the middle of all this, you've got the dark saber and, and Din having that, and, you know, the, the ability of, of, person wielding that to lead mandalore and everything and so i think i think din going to mandalore and seeing this with his own eyes and again maybe having to uh recontextualize some of the different things that he's been told by all these different groups and stuff i think he's maybe going to kind of come to a new understanding and through that come to, you know kind of come to a balance of the these these different ideologies he's going to kind of find 100 yeah. find the middle ground where it's like um, yes, we can still hold to our traditions and, uh, you know, our, our culture and our roots and everything, but also, you know, uh, you know, and then you have Bo-Katan over here, who's like super cynical and like, doesn't believe in all these traditions and stuff. And it's like, we don't have to go that far and be cynical about it, but also she's right that like, there's not some like mysticism behind all this like the planet's not cursed like there's no there's no magic to this or you know you know all these prophecies and everything like you know just kind of come to a more realistic understanding of things once he sees you know the the reality of the situation with his own eyes so yeah i and and again i think i think we're going to get to a point in the season where after he uh goes to mandalore does what he needs to do becomes you know reborn or whatever as a mandalorian you know he's maybe going to come back wielding the dark saber and, and propose kind of a new way to unite these two separate groups um and and i also think that with mandalore destroyed um i think they might go a similar route to like asgard in the mcu after that gets destroyed at the end of thor ragnarok when he says asgard's not a place it's a people um it's like do we really need to reclaim mandalore and rebuild it like you know we can we mandalorians can survive as a group wherever we are we can start a new planet they could continue to be nomadic um and just you know sort of have that strength in each other but not necessarily need to be like on the run or in hiding or anything like that um, but we also know that, you know, you have the planet of Mandalore, but also historically, like the leader of the Mandalorians has been known as Mandalore. I mean, they even talk about it. in um, I think back in like season one of the show, when she's talking about the history with the Jedi and everything, and she says, uh, you know, Mandalore, the great, or, you know, and you had these guys in the EU that were like Mandalore, the conqueror, or Mandalore, the ultimate, um, even the so way of the like, Mandalore has been spoken a lot. Yeah, phrase. yeah. And so it's not, you know, so literally like Mandalore is not a place. Mandalore is a person and a people. And um, so maybe Din's going to incorporate some of that moving forward, too. Or he's like, you know, we can leave the planet Mandalore behind, but that does not mean that there is no Mandalore. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know how that progresses and uh, how his ideology changes as he continues to navigate these different groups and then going to Mandalore and um, kind of discovering things for himself. I'm really interested to see um, sort of what he takes from that and uh, what ideas he has going forward about what is going to be um, best for, for how to carry on this group of people. Yeah. Um, as far as the sequence, I think pretty much this whole episode, Kyle, our opinions are pretty much per perfect sync because I kind of thought 
the same thing again that you did where not that this was a bad sequence at all but just the one that made me think i just kind of came out out of the blue where you were expecting him just to go about trying to find that part he needs to revive ig11 and he doesn't really say why he um, decided to meet Bo-Katan here first or go to this planet first before um, getting that part which we thought <laughs> what she was going to do once he left Navarro but other than that um, it just was a great sequence between Bo-Katan and Din Djarin here just catching up to where they are now after obviously the huge events that happened in the season 2 finale and just the state of mind that Bo-Katan is in right now where she does have that attitude where she's lost everything and she's kind of given up on the hope of trying to reclaim Mandalore and as their leader again. And just her way of thinking too, of almost choosing what to believe as far as some of the superstitions and uh, elements that the children of the watch believe, because um, when Din tells her that he's going back there, I like how he kind of called her out where she says like Mandalore's poison and it's curse and all that. And then he tells her, you know, make up your mind. You said that the curse was a lie here. <laughs> like, so what do you believe in? Just, Again, showing the state of mind that she's in right now, where she probably doesn't know really what to believe after kind of losing that hope she had to reclaim Mandalore with the dark saber, and knowing she lost uh, her followers, her fellow uh, Mandalorians who just went their separate ways. I thought I'm just glad that they addressed all those things um, that were lingering after the season two finale. Um, what happened to the ships they acquired from the Empire, and um, just what their state was, and now we know, and how she's pretty much all alone right here and just also too it's how um if you remember that line she said to din and boba fett in the season two finale where she was like not all mandalorians are bounty hunters kind of has a little uh, dig at them but now all the mandalorians she was with are pretty much bounty hunters now being mercenaries mm. and she's the only one left uh, from that group not doing that so she's holding on that's exactly why. yeah just gonna see it's gonna be very interesting to see her story progression throughout the course of the season and what makes her want to go with Din and just what is actually is going to happen between them two uh, once they do go to Mandalore. Um, because I still think we're, we're being set up for a confrontation at some point. Um, did you guys happen to see that really cool poster that the official Star Wars Twitter account sent out today where it's one side is Din's helmet, the other side is Bo-Katan's helmet forming one Mandalorian helmet? I think it's... Oh, yeah, with the Darksaber up the yes. middle. Yeah, yeah, and you got Grogu on there. So it's like little things like that kind of setting up where there's going to be some major conflict between them before <laughs> everything gets resolved here. But um, yeah, so despite this sequence just feeling a little bit out of place and coming up out of the blue, um, at the same time, I am glad that it was one that was here and established in the first episode. Again, just moments in this premiere, just setting up the stuff we can expect to see over the course of this season for the Mandalorian. So it's just really laying down all the groundwork here for the different story threads that we're going to see this season, which obviously this is going to be the biggest plot thread uh, dealing with uh, the planet Mandalore and Bo-Katan and Din's journey to as Mandalorians uh, returning there. So um, we'll see if uh, episode two picks up where they go directly to Mandalore, if they're still going to hold that off a little bit uh, until later on in the season. But we know at some point their destination, they're going to be there. And it's just going to be very fascinating to see how it all unfolds once they do go back to Mandalore. You know, I, I thought this was a very interesting way to end the episode. I got just, I, I, it's so weird for me to not really like love the intro, but I just, I loved everything afterwards a lot where it just makes me, 
it's weird. It's weird to me that I, even though that intro is so good to me, and I love the, the whole Gator thing. That it, again, that pacing. It just I love the way this this episode was written and the way it was presented. Um, I just it's just such a good. It's just, the whole Mandalorian like story is so good, and it's being like really fleshing things out and making allies into like adversaries and like but not just forcibly doing it, but really giving us legitimate reason for these characters because of what they've been through as characters and what the future holds for them and what, and what their motivations will do to them and what could turn what each other's motivations will do to each other and how they will play into each other's lives and form this different future. Right. And that's just good storytelling. And I, I just, I love this whole little, like very small, um thing of like you're you're having them talk in a hallway right but think about it it's just the two of them and it's just the the two with grogu obviously but you have grogu and you have mando and you have um bo-katan and it's it's them in an isolated hallway of of just emptiness where it's you're basically telling the audience it's going to be down to the two of them and you're foreshadowing that in that one scene and how she, the way she's sitting, all of that is all playing into foreshadowing of these characters. And this is the stuff that I think that is really cool that like, again, I go back to more of that traditional storytelling, not fairy tale, but the whole idea of like, it's, it's, you're setting the story up uh, in a, not in a very obvious way. And you're using the medium to your advantage. You're not taking it for granted. You're not trying to be like, you know, super over the top, you know, like, again, like, again, I say this in a good way, but like, and or, or everything is very much like, it's, it's like what they're doing, but there's, there's less more emphasis on close-ups and having like drama where this is really giving you a visual sense. I think of what you're, you're emphasizing for these, these characters and what's going to happen later on. And I like that. And I like the fact that like you're seeing the apathy of Bo-Katan here and how she's just like, it, it, it really does play off of the previous episode of the rescue where she's kind of like, wait, what do you have? And she's like bummed out. And like, she's just kind of like, nah, like it's yours, man. Like I love the, the development of these characters, how she wanted this thing. And now she's like, nope, I'm gonna hang out in my castle and be pissed off and pout. And cause you know what? Like, no, no, but I mean that, I don't mean that this oh, no, totally. way. No, yeah, like I it's 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 legitimately a con really um interesting and, and intriguing uh way to do it because it's re one relatable, but it also shows you that like she's she's human, right? She's or she's a mm -hmm. real character. She's like she's got flaws, and even though it's something she wants, you think that she'd be like, "All right, Mandalorian, let's fight!" Like like bad like storytellers would have them fight right there or or up the intensity somehow. But here it does the opposite. It makes you it downplays the the tension in in a, in a way where there's tension there, but it downplays it where she's trying to tell herself she's apathetic and like, yeah, I lost everybody because everyone wants to be bounty hunters. And no one wants to follow me because you know why? I don't have the freaking dark saber. She's not saying that outright. She's not, but you see that all over her face and how she's being and she's. It, the opposite of being the apathetic self instead of being the aggressor of like, give that to me. It's no, you know what? Go ahead. Take it. Lead Mandalore. You a-hole. I don't want it. Like, I'm just going to sit here in my castle, pout, 
stomp my feet and get pissed off. And I'm not, and it's not insinuating anything about her, about her as a character. Just like, that's how people are. I tell everyone is, you know, people will act like that when, when like something doesn't go their, their way and things start to fall apart, they will just, you know, we as people are naturally going to retreat and be like, and be, you know, apathetic and, you know, feel sorry for themselves. And that's what she's doing here. Obviously something's going to happen. Either she's playing possum and they're going to strike, which would be also awesome. And I think a little bit in character, to be honest, or something's going to change and she's going to be like, oh, this is my opportunity now, which yeah. I think is more the <laughs> obvious route, I think. But either way, I like that. I like this dynamic that they're doing and I'm I'm all for it because I think this is the uncon more not completely unconventional. It's more unconventional. And I think it's better for the story going forward. Well, yeah. And again, like you said, I think if anything, she's waiting for a new opportunity right now. I don't think she's just sitting and pouting. It's like, really, she's back to square one. Like she had spent all these years trying to, you know, build up these forces and get these Mandalorians to follow her. And she's been, you know, going around stealing Imperial ships and Imperial equipment and stuff. And then like, because she didn't get the Darksaber, she lost all of that. And so it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to sit and be mad about it when I should be doing other stuff. It's now it's like, you know, she's probably wondering, like, was that all for nothing? Like, you know, she's kind of just retreated and licking her wounds like she's not done yet, but she's just at a point where like she can't do anything right now. Um, but yeah, I think throughout the season, I think things are going to come up where she's going to take advantage of opportunities to try to kind of get back in the game. Um, and it'll be interesting to see at the end of the day if she you know if she ultimately is a an ally or a, an enemy to Din Djarin at the end of the day because like you know I think she doesn't really have any animosity towards him specifically you know as a, a fellow Mandalorian and whatever like they maybe have different views but like they there's a mutual respect there um but also you know he has the Darksaber and that's what she wants and I think she's gonna get to a point where she's like gonna realize you know what this is all that matters to me and I have to fight to get it. Like, that's the only way because, you know, it was gifted to me before and that didn't work out so well. So, um, yeah, it's almost like I don't want her to be, you know, end up being like the main villain of this season. But at the same time, I almost kind of feel like that has to happen in order for this storyline to be resolved. Because unless something happens where she comes to, you know, just respect Din and realize, you know what, you're better off being the leader of Mandalore than I am. Um, but like she's not going to get the dark saber and become leader of Mandalore without killing him. And that's not going to happen. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. Cause we've also seen Bogatan throughout Clone Wars and rebels be kind of both a, a villain and a hero at different points. So um, it'll be interesting to see where she lands at the end of the day. And, you know, over the course of the season. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting way to end it. Like I said, it, it felt a little bit out of the blue. It makes sense given the, the context of just like Din's mission and wanting to go to Mandalore and everything that he would come back and join up with her. It was just in the context of the previous scenes talking about the droid and the memory circuit and stuff like it yeah. seemed like that was going to be his next objective. So it was like, I get why he's going to join Bo-Katan. I just don't get why he's doing it right now aside from the fact that like they're wanting to wrap up this episode and before they end the premiere they want to just introduce bogatan as like an uh an important element for this season and they want to have her right in there from the beginning um so yeah it was uh, like pacing wise it was a little weird but um like you guys were saying like i think you know this episode was just laying a lot of groundwork 
um, and a lot of story threads for, um, you know, for the rest of the season that are going to kind of play out. It's interesting because I feel like out of all the Mandalorian episodes so far, certainly more so than any in season two, um, you know, this one felt more like more kind of just like a typical TV episode where it's just kind of linear and, you know, the story progresses week to week. Cause like a lot of Mandalorian episodes, especially in season two, all felt like self-contained stories. And there was definitely a, a through line to the story of Mando trying to find other Mandalorians and get Grogu back to the Jedi and everything. But like each episode had a very distinct feel to it, had a very distinct, you know, sort of its own beginning, middle end, like its own story objectives that it was trying to accomplish its own, uh, you know, sort of different characters that would come and go in that particular story. Um, and I almost feel like, you know, with some of those episodes, like you can go back and rewatch them individually. And it's almost like you're watching, you know, a, a little Star Wars movie. Um, you know, like, you know, I think about the season premiere from last year with the crate dragon and everything. And like, that's its own great self-contained story about Mando and Cobb Vanth teaming up with Tusken Raiders to fight a crate dragon. This episode, I feel like, didn't really have that sort of, like, beginning, middle, end. Like, honestly, when, when this season is said and done, I don't know if I'm going to come back and, like, just rewatch this episode specifically a lot. Um, just because, again, it feels like it was more just sort of setting up stuff that's going to happen later in the season and, you know, just kind of introducing things to get stuff started. But it still had a lot of great moments. Um, it introduced some very interesting story stuff that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing later down the line. Um, you know, obviously had a lot of cute Grogu moments, had some cool Mando action. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a great start to the season. I thought it was a lot of fun overall. Um, maybe a couple issues with it here or there. I wasn't blown away by it, and like I said, it's not a uh, necessarily like a standout episode that I'm going to rewatch a bunch all on its own. Um, but I'd give it a solid like eight out of 10. I'd say it's a, you know, it's definitely a good episode to start the season off on. And I'm just excited to see where we go from here. Yeah. I mean, this episode was just a blast, uh, a great way to kick off the season and just get everyone back into the groove of watching new episodes of the Mandalorian for the next eight weeks. Um, like I said, it had some really great action. It's some good story set up and, some really cool references uh, for us hardcore fans like the Purgle. And again, just a lot of fun stuff too um, throughout the course of this episode. So yeah, like you said, it wasn't maybe like, I think I mentioned this on our last episode, how the first episode of the, of the seasons of the Mandalorian so far ended with these great big moments, obviously Grogu being introduced, the shock of seeing a baby of Yoda species was mind blowing that first episode. And then, and season two, I mean, ending with the Battle of the Crate Dragon. But for me personally, the last shot ending, revealing Boba Fett being back, that was just, I mean, I was on such a high after that uh, premiere episode. Just couldn't wait for what's going to come next in the season. And this one didn't really have that. Um, like it still had some, uh, as we talked about throughout the course of this discussion, some great setup for what's to come this season, but not that big, like shock, re shocking reveal. Um, that uh, maybe maybe weren't expecting in here, but and again, not every episode has to have have that, and not every premiere needs to have that, because I did think this is a solid premiere that sets up um, for what we can expect over the course of the season, and to get us very excited about what we're going to see over the course of the season. So um, that's maybe just some that for some fans, maybe myself even included, I'll throw myself into there where uh, since the first two seasons had those. Um, in their premieres, I was kind of expecting something like that to happen in this one, but 
it didn't. And I don't think that really detracted it at all. It's just not going to, I don't think have people talking about it as much as maybe you would those first two premiere episodes because of some of the big surprises that we had in there. But um, I loved it. Um, I can't wait to, for next week. <laughs> I mean, it's just great to have the series back. We said it before. It's just, there's just something special about this series. We kind of felt it from day one when it came out. And obviously ever since then it's become, I mean, they from Disney is promoting it as the worldwide phenomenon and that is accurate. I mean, it's, it's such a big deal now just for the casual audience of when it comes to star Wars, it's Mandalorian is kind of, as we talked about before, kind of the, for lack of better words, the face of star Wars for right now, just the thing that, not just hardcore fans, but the general audience just gets excited about when it's when it's here and it is here now. And I just couldn't be more happy about it. And this is how it got off started with the bang with a really fun episode that was just a blast from start to finish. So yeah, I loved it. Yeah, you know, I listen, I, I, I talking about with you guys is, is this really shows me how much I love this series so much, and this episode was so good. And I, I remember after I was done with it, I'm like, yeah, like I felt really good about myself afterwards. If that makes any sense. Like, it's just like, no, I totally, we... I totally, you know what you mean, Paul. Just when Star Wars is at its Thank best, you. yeah, it mm-hmm. just leaves you with a very good feeling, a joyous mm-hmm. feeling, yes, a joyous uh-huh. feeling. And, and, and now, now, granted, we all, me and Kyle especially, have different joys of different things uh, that we feel after these, after watching or reading or, 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 or Kyle doesn't read. So that doesn't count. Um, but, uh, Oh God, I love doing that to you. I'm um, going to finish was, watch. I'm going to finish Jedi battle scars before you. I'll put money on that. Yeah, you probably will. Um, but, uh, but the thing is, because well, one, I'm not going to probably read it. I'll probably listen to it. Uh, ha <laughs> uh, gotcha. No, but, um, in all seriousness, I, I, it, there was something just very like fulfilling about the episode, even though it wasn't like, you know, Grogu or reveal or a uh, Boba Fett reveal, like you said, Tim. Like, there's just there's something about like watching good, fun Star Wars that just makes you go, yeah. Like, it just mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just a really great feeling. And it makes it really shows you the power of this franchise and, and this mythology that, that that George built and has been evolving ever since. And through the the aches and pains of, of growing from you know basically from like leaving your parents' house, which what I think Star Wars did after, uh, you know, George sold it. You know, I think that it's, it's starting to see like it come into its own a little bit finally after, you know, 10 years. And I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. There's some good stuff we got before, but um, it just it's really good to see Mandalorian. Because I, I, to me, Mandalorian is, is, is the greatest of all time of all the Star Wars series. Andor is great. I know it's more serious. But to me, this is the perfect balance of family that people can get a lot of things out of that doesn't have to be like, you know, go to bed, kids dad's got to watch Andor, like you know what i mean like we don't have to do that like the kids are, are gonna want to stick around and are just a bit you know something to relate to your family is so important i think and I, I love the mandalorian for really giving you um or giving us that uh that aspect and uh yeah love this episode last thing i'm gonna say i i don't know if anyone's talked about this but uh guys what about an armor versus bo katan i'm glad you brought that up hmm. paul because i really hope they meet this season because dude they're they're gonna be enemies they're oh, gonna yeah, like, hate it, each other watch the book of boba fett episode again where din asks her if she's heard of bo katan and how she says she's uh, a cautionary tale but regardless Ooh. of that she talks about the prophecy that they believe as uh, the children of the watch how the, 
for someone to like, have the dark saber without winning it in combat will sp- spill doom for Mandalore and all its people. Oh yeah, and they fully yeah. believe that. Obviously, that's what happened. So to her, have her come face to face with Bo Katan would be such a very very interesting thing to see Dude. play out. It, yeah. there's gonna be blows man there's gonna be blows yeah. there I mean, could be well rad. here's the thing because the the armorer thinks of bogatan basically blames blames bogatan and her group for the current state of things with mandalore um but then like when din goes to see bogatan at the end of this episode and she says your cult abandoned mandalore long before the purge so in a way like you know the the reason we're all fractured and split and stuff like is your fault um which is funny because Bogatan was part of Death Watch that also split off from like the main group of Mandalorians that was going pacifist under Satine and everything. So like they were all just splintered and fractured, and everybody's just pointing fingers at each other. Um, but yeah, it would it would definitely be interesting to see that those two meet up because again, I think they they two are like those two, the armor and Bogatan are kind of the two remaining pillars of two very different Mandalorian ideologies. And um, it's like, would they come to blows or is Din going to unite them under one banner? And, uh, you know, that could be a really powerful thing to then turn against pirates or the Empire or, you know, whatever common enemy they might face. Um, But it could also be really interesting to, you know, see them fight and duke it out and and try to resolve those differences. So, um, yeah, lots of interesting stuff. I do think we will. I mean, we got to see those two groups together at some point. Um, throughout the season i also wonder as far as din going to mandalore like i kind of have a feeling that we're going to see that happen sooner than later i don't think that's going to be i don't think that's going to be like the season finale is him finally going to mandalore i don't know how soon it's going to happen but i would say by like the halfway point of the season i think this whole i have to go back to mandalore and and be you know baptized in the living waters and whatever i think that whole thing is going to be resolved and it's going to be like okay what next like if you're a mandalorian again now like are the people going to follow him what's he going to do um you know and again we got to check back in on coruscant and the new republic and you know the imperial remnants and all that kind of stuff so that's always the exciting thing you know when we talk about trailers and stuff like we always know for the mando trailers like we're pretty much seeing stuff from like the first half of the season um yeah and uh so it's like what's coming in the second half that none of us are you know that's not even on our radar right now and what's the big stuff that's going to blow our minds by the end of the season that we're gonna you know think back on now and think oh yeah i remember when we had no idea that was coming so that kind of stuff is you know it's exciting to think about right on but uh yeah i don't know you guys got any uh any closing thoughts on the uh season three premiere before we wrap up here no i think uh got it all wrapped up (laughs) in my last thoughts but just yeah i can't wait for more from this season i think it's off to a great start and we're just going to be in store for another great eight episode runs of the mandalorian so yeah just so glad it's back right now did not disappoint yeah definitely and did we get any uh thoughts from our listeners on twitter or social media anything like that uh, yeah, our buddy Caleb chimed in on Twitter saying, um, this episode sparked a lot of fan theories and discussions for me, and that's when Star Wars is at its best. Amen. Also excited that we've basically seen most of the trailer footage now. I'm excited about all the possibilities for the rest of the season. This is the way. Um, yep, you're dead on, Caleb. <laughs> that's what, is, mm-hmm. what sparks 
these type of discussions and speculations is what makes Star Wars so much fun. And as you said, is when it's at its best. So yes, definitely agree. Speaking of speculations and fan theories, you know what I just realized is, um, well, I'm just thinking about stuff that we haven't seen from the trailers yet. Cause Caleb also said, you know, I mentioned like, Oh, we've seen a lot of stuff in the trailers so far. I think there's a lot, there's still a lot that we haven't seen yet, but one of the things that we haven't seen is those shots of uh, the, the, you know, the Imperial tie interceptors chasing like a Mandalorian gauntlet fighter um, through some canyons and over some water and stuff. And now that we've seen it, I'm pretty sure that's Kalevala. And so now I'm wondering, is the Empire coming after Bo-Katan for some reason? Mm. And maybe that's going to be what kind of pushes her into action to maybe join up with Din where she's like, hey, even though I still don't like you and I still want your Darksaber, like I got to team up with you because the Empire's after me for some reason, maybe just to wipe out the last remnants of the Mandalorians or something. And uh, I can't do this on my own. Um, or again, maybe with whatever goes down there, maybe she's going to see an opening to try to see that as her path back to power. But um, yeah, you know, whatever that case is, I was just thinking back to those shots and I was like, oh yeah, I think we've seen what planet that is now. And so um, I think it's pretty safe to say, you know, maybe that's her getting chased off of her throne. Um, by the way, did you guys see the the images that were comparing like that shot of her sitting on her throne to like it's almost the same way that Maul sits on the Mandalorian throne when he takes over it in Clone Wars. Huh. I did not see those comparisons, but now that you mention it, yeah, it's pretty much spot on, really. Yeah. I mean, she was so, there. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a cool touch too. It's it's one of those things where, like, you know, having Dave Filoni on this show as an executive producer, I don't think he directed any episodes this season, but no. still, like, you know, watching it as a Clone Wars fan, you see those touches in there where you're like that was Dave. You see the Pergil going by and, you know, the hyperspace sequence in live action. You're like, Dave, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And thanks Caleb for uh, chiming in with your thoughts. Um, if you guys want to, uh, you know, connect with us and, and share your thoughts, comments, questions, as we're going through the season of Mandalorian, you can of course follow us on Twitter at star Wars TSC, um, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars. The saga continues. Check out our website at starwarstsc.com. And you can send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com. Uh, again, to send us you know thoughts, comments, questions, anything you want to have us read on the show and be part of the discussion. We always love hearing from you guys. So um, that's going to do it for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys all enjoyed the uh, season premiere of The Mandalorian as much as we did. And uh, look forward to talking a lot more with you guys about the show as we uh, get through this new season over the next few weeks. So um, looking forward to I don't know if we're going to do another episode next week or if we're going to wait two weeks. Obviously, you know, this year so far, we've been pretty good about recording every couple of weeks. Um, but depending on what happens in the next episode, you know, we've kind of talked about this behind the scenes. We're like, if if the episode's big enough, we might just have to jump on and do another like hour and a half to two hour episode um, about the new episode right then and there instead of waiting for another episode and then having to do like a three or four hour podcast covering two episodes of Mando. So um, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to do yet. We're going to kind of play it by ear as the season goes, but you will hear from us in at least a couple of weeks, if not sooner. Um, but we will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. And as always, may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Get on, get to the, 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 the rebels.